This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Hey, what's up? Welcome into episode 89 of Small Talk. I'm your host, Michelle Smallman, and our other host, Steve Cerruti, is here. Cerruti, what's up? How have you been? Um, I need to get a quarantine update from you. I feel like every time we talk, I ask you this, but you shaved your head. What did you do the last week? I can't remember what you did last week, but just fill us in. What have you been up to? Well, I had Maddie, my wife, trim my hair again, and I went even shorter this time. Wow. And I still love it. So I'm loving life as a, as a buzz cut dude. Um, you know, just saving a bunch of time. So it's good. <laughs> Don't know if it's going to be permanent, but I like it for now. And since I've got more time on my hands, I have been laboring outside <laughs> and I have been putting in a patio. So I've been doing a lot of digging of gravel and dirt and leveling things and putting tiles down. So I've actually been doing manual labor for the last week plus, And your boy is sore. It is the best workout that you could possibly do is like working outside and lifting shit all day. So I'm in the best shape of my of, of quarantine because I've been doing all this stuff. I'm kind of tanned because I've been outside a lot. So honestly, I'm thriving right now. Yeah, I'm jealous that you're in great shape. You have freedom as far as your hair is concerned and you're tan. What the hell? Are you just trying to rub it in? Yeah, like I am basically like a 10 of quarantine right now. <laughs> I'm looking good. I'm feeling good. We were talking about in the podcast before about trying to do indoor workouts and yeah. stuff that was at home. And I had only 10 pound weights and I felt stupid doing all these things. I haven't worked out since I started doing this because I'm like, I'm basically just shoveling every day and I'm sore, but I feel good. So I listen, it's one of those things though, too, where like my dad is like a plumbing, heating, air conditioning guy, like manual labor guy. I know a lot of manual labor guys. I have the most respect for them because I could never do that for a job every day. It's okay if I'm doing this project, right. But I know that like, I don't have to do this every day. If I had to do this every day, I think I would, uh, I mean, I just wouldn't, I just would quit because I'd be, I'd probably cry at home every night. Yeah, I would definitely cry every night. There's no way. I couldn't last one day doing manual labor. But I will <laughs> I will say that have you ever seen those um have you ever seen those kind of crowdsourced Instagram accounts where it's like hot dudes reading? I feel like there's <laughs> going to be one called Bays of Quarantine and it's going to be you doing labor. Yeah, it's just me like in overalls, no undershirt. <laughs> um, you know, I've got fake dirt on me and I've got a shovel over my shoulder. I'm just looking real good. Probably the camera's like a behind angle and I'm looking backwards. Totally. Good sunlight, probably dusk. Look, yeah. I look back at is, it. Uh, I should, yeah, I could do, I could probably do a 12 month calendar of a photo shoot outside. It shouldn't be that hard. Oh, a couple other things. When you shaved your head, we said that it made you look like you had just escaped from prison. You were in kind of a J. Crew gang, a J. Crew crew, if you will, and that it gave you kind of a tough guy aesthetic. I mean, you took that literally. You went from a guy that was kind of sitting <laughs> in a studio with layers on to now being a laborer. Yeah, listen, you got to do what you got to do. Tough times call. What's the phrase? Like tough times decide whether you're a tough person or not. I'm, I'm trying to be tough. I'm trying to go outside. I've got calluses on my hands. Um, <laughs> I ache all around, but it's worth it. And here's the cool thing about the quarantine again is because, you know, a lot of most of it is shitty because you have to stay and you can't hang out with your friends and you're kind of constantly in, a, in like having anxiety that something bad is going to happen, that you're not going to be healthy or you're going to God forbid, get the coronavirus. But also, it has given me a lot of time to do shit around the house. And our house has never looked better, to be honest with you, because there's nothing else to do but do home improvement projects. So here's your boy doing some paint, doing some digging, uh, cleaning out the basement. A lot of shit that I had put off for like probably two or three years has gotten done. So you and your house have never looked better. Seriously, it's like a glow up. It's the 2020 quarantine glow up. You know, when you talked about shaving your head and now you've got this tough guy vibe and you've got this labor vibe and you're thriving, 
Conversely, I took my fedora out for a test drive for a little spin the other day. And, you know, I didn't get the same glow up effect. If anything, I felt kind of out of place. You know, I just don't think the fedora fits my aesthetic. But I will say this, wearing a fedora similarly to you shaving your head, it does provide you with a certain vibe. When I had the fedora on, even though I felt kind of fraudulent because I'm not in the Rat Pack and I don't enjoy jazz all that much, I did feel more polished than I actually was. I was projecting that I was more polished than I actually am. Whereas I don't think you're projecting that you're tougher than you are because you're actually laboring. You're more channeling your haircut. The quarantine has allowed people, myself with the head shaving, it allows you to test out different versions of yourself because Mm -hmm. this isn't real life, right? Especially if you're not someone that has to get on a Zoom call every day at work. You can test out different looks. You can test out different things like hats, whatever. So coming out of this, people might look entirely different. Now, granted, you talk about you haven't been able to, like, color your hair in a while. And I know all girls are like, I need to get a haircut. Dudes trying to get fade. I've seen so many pictures of dudes that have had their significant other try to, like, fade their hair or give them a haircut. Mine is easy because you just take a three all the way around and just buzz your head, right? There's really not that much to it. But if you're trying to, like, actually clean your shit up and get a legitimate haircut or like do something that is actually hard that you need to actually have a professional do... I've seen so many pictures and videos of significant others fucking up the other one, cutting their (laughs) hair, that I think we should just stop doing that at this point. It's probably not going to work out for you. Fading someone's hair is difficult. Dying someone's hair is difficult. I think you have the best idea. Put a fedora on, hide it until this thing is over. My mom asked me over the weekend if I would cut her bangs, and I was like, sure, why not? And on first snip, I took a step back and... I gave her the Mark Davis, just like straight across. And I was like, ooh, yikes. And she was like, how does it look? I was like, mm, fine. And I was like, but let me work with this. So I kind of angled them on the second try. And it blended much better the, the second time around. But I, well, for at first snip, was like, oh, Lord, what did I do? I kind of feel like, too, if you fuck up bangs, there's really no going back. It just sort of is what it is, right? Because it's just the front of your head. Yeah. Unless like you, what do you, so what do you, you have to do? Pull more from the top of your head down and try to, that's how you blended it? So I really had just kind of done the middle at that point. And then as we went further outside on the forehead, I kind of made those pieces longer. So it was almost like a gradual waterfall, if you will. Interesting. Yeah, well, I still don't know. Your mom must really trust you. Well, like it's one thing to take like an inch off the back if you're just cutting an inch off around. I mean, that it might not look great, but nobody's going to really notice. To do the bangs, you got to really trust that person. They were in her face and annoying. And who's going to see her? My dad. What does she care? They've been married 35 years. <laughs> yeah. You know, at this point, she's like, well, whatever. Yeah. They look terrible. At least they're not in my face. My mom could get the best haircut in the world. It could cost her hundreds of dollars. And then I could cut her Mark Davis bangs. And I don't think my dad would notice anything different. He would just say, you look beautiful. Either way. Yeah, that's kind of how my dad, that's what my dad would do, 100%. But that's like with coloring, too, sometimes. It's like, you just don't notice. You notice something is vaguely different, but you don't know exactly what it is unless yeah. they tell you. Because I've done that with, with Maddie's haircuts a million times. She's like, oh, you didn't notice my new haircut. And I'm like... I noticed something is vaguely different. I just don't know exactly what it is. Right. And uh, speaking of hair, I have made my hair appointment, my post-quarantine hair appointment, and I shed a tear when I booked it because I was just... Oh, congrats. Thank you. you. I'm counting down the days. It's next week. It just 
felt so good and so normal to think that I could go sit in a salon. Yes, I'll probably be wearing a mask. She'll probably be wearing a mask. I don't think I will be accepting the wine or the champagne from the place because, you know, I don't really know how we're going to be doing that. If they can even present us with beverages. I don't know how things are going to work. But just to get my hair done will feel so normal and I just can't wait for that day. I literally have a countdown calendar on my wall. It's not only that you're going to feel better and look better and whatever, it's just some sort of semblance of normalcy too, right? Oh, okay, yeah. I can go back out and get my hair cut. Like, that's, that's the whole that's thing. That's why I think there's a lot of people on Twitter or whatever that are like negative Nancy's and I am a little bit pessimistic when it comes to when I think sports are going to return but I think there are a lot of people on Twitter and social media that feel like they are almost against it. Any sort of hint of positivity of something coming back to normal, they're like, oh, and they'd want to poo-poo it. And it's mm-hmm. just like, I don't think we need that. I think we need to try to dip our toes into some normalcy so we can somewhat see a light at the end of the tunnel because it's just going to make everyone psychologically and emotionally feel better. So I'm all for that. Even if everyone's wearing masks, who cares? Oh, I don't care. And remember how I forever had wanted to go platinum blonde and then my colorist was like, you have really dark hair. We're going to have to build towards that so your hair doesn't break off if you dye it blonde. When I was messaging with her, I'm like, we're going full blonde. We're going, I mean, we had gone blonde before, but it was more kind of like a golden blonde. Post-quarantine, we're just letting it rip. I'm like, I don't care what you do. We're not not going like Tara Reid. We're not going that type of blonde, like platinum blonde, are we? You know, I'm tempted to do it. I've always wanted to go platinum blonde. I said I was going to go platinum blonde, and I kind of feel like I'm still not going to be seeing anyone. And so if I hate it, the next time I go in, we'll do something different. We're, you know what? We're going super blonde. This is the time to do it. If I'm I, all for it. You know, and honestly, if my hair breaks off, again, who cares? I literally won't be seeing anyone. <laughs> if you've learned anything from this podcast, know that the quarantine is time for you to try out all the looks that you were always afraid of doing. So, Right now is the time, people. So if you want to go blonde, Michelle, it's going to be drastic. But listen, I shaved my head. We are all in this safe space that if you want to try something out, there's no better time than right now to do it. So I'm all for the blonde uh, experiment. Thank you. I'll send you a picture when it's done. Or actually, we'll tape a podcast before it's done because it'll be next Friday. So two podcasts from now, we'll have a blonde update from from me, uh, which I know people are dying for. But anyway, speaking of safe space, we got to talk about Matt. Because we brought Matt into this podcast as a safe space, and he shared his story with us about his affair, and we super appreciate Matt. But Steve, I don't think we've ever done anything on the podcast, whether it be an interview or a feature, that has ever gotten this much response than we did with Matt's infidelity interview. Do you agree? You're right. And I'm really happy that people liked it as much as we did because it was a niche thing that we were just really interested in and had a lot of questions about. And I, you know, it's always like, hey, are people as interested in this as we are? It genuinely seems like people were. And Matt was so open and was so honest about so many things and came off as such a good dude that I think it sort of has opened people's eyes to like, hey, this is actually, a, he changed my mind about what I think about cheaters. You just automatically, we talked about it a little bit after the fact on last week's pod, but he changed my view of what cheaters are because you kind of put them all into one category of shitty people. And I kind of always thought there's always another side to the story, and I'm glad he was able to tell that. And that was the most unique perspective ever because I guarantee you if you took a straw poll on people and whether or not they liked Matt or not, if you would have been like, hey, do you like cheaters? Guess that's going to be 100% no, cheaters are the worst people, they're shady, blah, blah, blah. But if you took a straw poll after that interview about whether or not you like Matt or not, I guarantee you his approval rating is probably higher than 70%. Like, even like the people who hate cheaters the most, you have to at least admit that Matt was a pretty good dude. It's so funny you bring that up, Steve. I know that you heard from a lot of people regarding our Matt interview. I also heard from a lot of people regarding our Matt interview. And we had a wide 
array of opinions on Matt. And I was kind of hesitant to even bring up some of the feedback we got because the last thing that I want to do is put Matt on trial. He was so gracious with his time. He was very forthcoming with his story. However, when you do an interview like this, I do think it's important to discuss some of the feedback you got because people present different trains of thought. Steve, I got to tell you, the majority of people that I heard from, they were not vibing with your boy, Matt. They had some issues with some things that he said, and they had some issues with some things that we did in the interview as well. Wow. I know, I know, because you and I were in it, and we had this conversation with him, and maybe it's because we were expecting kind of the playboy, hit-me-on-the-low type cheater that was almost... Yeah, the guy that's easy to hate. The, the guy that's easy you know, to hate. the guy that's easy to be like, you're a tool. Yeah, and so to have Matt be super open and honest with us and remorseful in a lot of ways, I think that took us off guard, and so we certainly liked him. I have to tell you some of the things that I've heard from both listeners and friends alike regarding Matt and their hatred for Matt. Can I lay it out for you? Yeah, I'm fascinated by this. Me too. So uh, a lot of people that I heard from that were women did not like that Matt didn't reveal to us earlier that he had a family. They thought mm-hmm. that he was kind of talking about this in relation to his wife and that it was easy to understand his point when he was saying we weren't in love, etc. But having kids brings a whole nother wrinkle into the situation. And I think he probably knew that mentioning that he had kids early on would make him more unlikable. And so a lot of women that I talked to were like he was protecting that fact so that more people would be on his side. Well, I think that is correct. And he did sort of get to it later on. And I'm glad that he did. I wasn't asking that question either way, but I'm glad that he sort of brought it up somewhat organically. I'm not sure how much that changes it. Yes, it is easier to break up with someone that you're married to and get a divorce when there are no kids, but it doesn't change any of the feelings that he and his wife both had for each other. He had mentioned that there was clearly something wrong, right? He felt like it would have happened either way. And yeah, it would have been an easier breakup, and obviously the kids thing is a, is a terrible angle because it affects – but I thought Matt was very remorseful about that. I thought I Matt was really understanding, and he understood the seriousness of what he had done. And, yeah, he probably didn't mention that off the top because it's a hard thing to bring up, but I also don't feel like he was – he may have been hiding it, but he, he was the one that brought it up himself. So I can't really knock him that much for that. No, but I, I think that when you're talking about betraying your wife – okay, so for instance – I think if we're having this conversation with him and he's saying, oh, I was going out with my running buddy to hook up in a car in the woods or whatever, that in itself is bad, right? But then if you think, okay, are you doing this at the expense of spending time with your kids? You know what I mean? And not that we would have gone that deep with him or gotten into those things, but a lot of my friends and a lot of women that reached out to me were like, I wish that he would have said that sooner because they would have liked us to press him more on that, I guess. That's like, fair. And we didn't really, yeah, we didn't really, pre- I didn't really press him on that because that is a really sensitive thing. Totally. And, but here's the thing too, though, is that you don't know, I don't know whether or not Matt is a good dad. And I would assume that he is, but I think you could still be a really good dad and be, and be divorced. I don't, like, I don't think those two totally. things are mutually exclusive. Like you can do something bad and he can still be a really great father. So we don't know him. So I don't know enough to judge him on that aspect of his life. Okay, so another thing people were upset about, and this is more with you and I, not so much with Matt, is Matt was so honest about the fact that he had feelings for this other woman. And those feelings, you know, 
they were intense to begin with, but then when he felt isolated and kind of on an island and everyone was judging him and he felt a certain type of way after he had revealed that he had done this to his wife and his family and a lot of people were turning their backs on him, that those feelings of connection with this other woman grew, right? A couple people mm-hmm. hit me up and they were like, sure, but... It had to be like a certain percentage of it had to just be physical. Right. And people were wanting to know why we didn't ask if he was still sleeping with his wife at this time, too, because if you're emotionally connected to this Mm -hmm. other person, you can be emotionally connected to someone and cheat on someone emotionally and not have a physical relationship with them. Basically, I think we asked him a lot of very deep, deep questions, but people wanted to know, I think, more about the sex aspect of this, about like, okay, so how do you rationalize having sex with this other woman and then going home and having sex with your wife? You know, I just think that when you have an affair with someone, and if we ever talk to another cheater, that's certainly something that we'll bring up, because in the moment, you and I were just trying to to navigate the conversation, and Matt did an amazing job, but I think if we, if we talk to kind of a playboy cheater, we need to talk about that aspect of it. Like, how do you mentally and emotionally have sex with two people at the same time that at least one of them doesn't know that you're sleeping with someone else. That is a good point. I don't have an answer for that. I don't even know where I would lean on that with Matt because <laughs> right. uh, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate because <laughs> I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it is a good question. And I would, you know, the whole physical attraction thing, that's how every relationship starts for him to say, Oh, like he had this physical relationship with this woman he was cheating on with. That's how I think probably 99% of cheating things work. There's just two people that are attracted to each other and it's purely physical. His seemed much more uh, emotional and the fact that they actually genuinely cared for each other. And he sort of loved this woman. I do have to imagine though, that that would impact your life at home. And again, he sort of alluded to the fact that the wife was already sort of weird about, this in the first place before he even knew it was anything. I know personally that would be a very weird thing to navigate, to sort of show affection to the woman that you are cheating, you know, your wife, if you're cheating on her to then show her affection, that would be a really hard thing to fake. I think the woman would probably, or the man would be able to see right through that. But I think there's a lot of people out there that can't see through that and they can't, you don't kind of know any better. And that's, I think the point that the people that were hitting me up saying you should have asked about this is because then it doesn't just become I'm speaking a lie to you, right? Like if you say, where were you? And I say, oh, I was just running. That's a lie because you were having sex in a car in the woods. You weren't just running. But if I'm also then kissing you and telling I love you and sleeping with you and doing sweet things for you, not only are you speaking lies, your entire life becomes a lie. You're acting out a lie. You know, it's more all consuming, I guess. But what's the other alternative to that? You just become super standoffish, and when she says, I love you, you don't say, I love you back? What are you supposed to do in that situation? Obviously, cheating is wrong, and it's basically you're trying to keep it a secret, even though Matt want, you know, knew that he wanted to tell and did tell uh, the first time, then obviously went back the second time. But what's the other alternative? Is he a better guy if he was more of a dick to his wife because he wasn't going to be more emotional with her or more physical with her because he was cheating on her with some other woman? I don't know what the right answer is here. I don't think there is a right answer. And that's what I was trying to explain to some of the people that I spoke with is I was like, it's it's amazing that, and this is what we kind of wanted to do with this thing. It's amazing that we could listen to it with Matt and 
we could speak to Matt and have one takeaway and someone else could listen to it and have a completely different takeaway. And it's all from your personal experience. It's from your personal life experience or things that you're interested in or your point of view. You know what I mean? To where we're looking at it saying, wow, we picture cheaters to be kind of arrogant and more shady, I guess. And Matt, I don't think was shady (laughs) and I don't think he was arrogant by any means. So I think from you and I's perspective, he negated what our perception was. But if someone else was listening to this and they were coming at it with a, I want to know more about the physical logistics of this and more about how this person lived their day-to-day life and then they didn't get that, that's where they were coming from. It's amazing the feedback that we got on this. And again, thank you to Matt for doing it. And I don't think you're a bad guy, Matt, if you're listening. (laughs) Well, the good thing is, too, is we want to do more. So we'll put this in the back burner for next time. Next time we have a different type of cheater on, maybe someone who is less likable. I guess we'll ask him that question or her that question because it is a good, it is a fair question. It really is. I just don't think that the people that are voicing that to you are going to like the answer either way. No. And yeah, like what if he said, I was sleeping with my wife every night. I was doing sweet things to her and I was living a total double life and I regret it and I hate it. Right. That's almost worse. Exactly. If he's honest about that, the way he was honest with everything, you're not going to like him because he was honest. You're going to hate him because he did it. So either way, he doesn't win. So, again. Totally true. You're Listen, right. If you, if you want to throw a blanket thing and be like, you know, he cheated and that's I, it's, I'm not going to argue with you that, that if you don't like Matt or don't like cheaters, it's not like I'm sitting here telling you that, you know, you're wrong for not liking someone who did something that's really bad. Like, again, Matt acknowledged that he did all this stuff, was very remorseful, was very open. Yeah. And I'm sure there are things that he doesn't even like about himself right now. So if other people are out there saying that they don't like him or that they didn't like the way or that they had questions about the way he handled the situation, I'm not going to argue with them. Like, I understand it. Our mutual friend, Marvin Prince, shout out Marv, who listens to every episode. What up, Marv? (laughs) What up, Marv? Who is one of the funniest people we know, uh, texted me and said, your boy Matt just fell prey to temptations of the flesh. (laughs) It's true. Like, and again, I don't know... (laughs) I guess what surprised me, Michelle, is that you, when you sort of were like, I like Matt, that to me, because I, I know like you're kind of a, you're sort of a fiercely loyal person as someone who had been cheated on. The fact mm-hmm. that you felt that way about Matt kind of even opened my eyes even more because I was already feeling that way. And I, but I have never really gone through this and I don't have sort of the history that you have in the situation. And although, you know, it's not exactly the same, but it's similar, right? when you sort of were feeling the same thing about him saying, Hey, this guy's kind of a nice guy. And I understand we're a little bit more remorseful towards him and understanding that made me even feel more about the way that I felt about Matt. So I don't know if you're not going to like Matt and you don't like Matt, I'm not going to be mad at you. It is what it is. But from someone who has no experience in that and who kind of went into this expecting myself to sort of judge him more and dislike him more, I was just caught up guard. Do you know why I liked Matt? So I am, if I'm loyal to a fault, okay? It's to my detriment, my loyalty to people and places and things sometimes. It, you know, you're probably thinking like, oh, is that a negative? Yes, it's a negative because it can, it can be too much at times. I mean, you hear my love of St. Louis. It's too much. It's just too much. We all know it's too much. But <laughs> lying and betraying people is certainly a you're dead to me lifetime ban on my list. That's very Italian goodfellas of you. Yeah, 100%. But what I think is even worse than that is when you make a mistake, you can't own up to your mistake, and more importantly, you don't try to grow from it. And I think that when I talked to Matt, he talked about how, first of all, he was 
transparent and saying, hey, I did this. I messed up. I own it. Taking responsibility for your actions is more important to me than committing a bad act. And the fact that he said, you know, I'm living with this every day. I'm going to therapy. When he opened up the first question, I, I believe it was saying, I still don't really understand after three years of therapy why I did this. And I'm trying to learn about it and trying to figure out about what it was in myself that allowed me to do this. That doesn't give you a pass, but I tip my cap to you because being vulnerable and looking at the bad parts of yourself is not easy. Okay. Going into therapy and telling someone who is a stranger, all the bad things about yourself and having to sit in that and be uncomfortable and look in the mirror and say, these are bad things about me, but then having the strength to say, okay, but I'm going to change it, especially as an adult, making changes in your life as an adult is not easy. So for Matt to do that, I respected that out of him. And while I certainly think it was very shitty what he did to not only his wife and his family, but to the other woman and his friends and his family, who probably he let down as well. He's the one that has to live with that, not me. But I really respect the fact that he's willing to own up to what he did and that he's willing to try and grow from it. Yeah, as I said on the left, but I'm a big second chances guy. You know, if you make a mistake more than once, it's kind of on you. But I'm more willing to forget and forgive, not forget, forgive people who make mistakes but are interested, as you said, in becoming a better person and learning from those mistakes. And it's hard for me to not because people are just imperfect. That's the way it is. Life is imperfect. Everyone makes mistakes. The whole cool thing nowadays, and this isn't even just about cheating, but just stuff in general, is to call people out for their worst things and their worst moments. And that's who they are as a person. You're like, yeah, but everybody makes mistakes, right? And some people are more introspective and can sort of learn from things better than others. And some people are just assholes. And some people are just shitty people and they're going to cheat multiple times. Mm-hmm. But I was just impressed by the fact that Matt, I genuinely believed him when he said he didn't know why he did it. And I genuinely believed him when he said all the things about trying to be a better person and how it really negatively impacted his life. I just think that he had a great head on his shoulders. And I'm not sure everyone does. But I'm much more willing to give guys like that a second chance because they are aware of the thing they did wrong in the first place. And they aren't just it's not a history repeating itself kind of situation. I also, the older I get, have removed my white wig and placed it permanently on. uh, What do you place a wig on? Like a headstand? Not a headstand. What's that called? Like a wig holder? You know what I'm talking about? It's like shaped like a head and you place a wig on it. Yeah, hold your wigs. Yeah, it's like a. An oval little thing. I don't know. Hold on, I'm Googling Wig it. holder sounds good. What holds your I didn't wig. even know there was an actual name for it. I mean, but there probably is. I'm Googling uh, this right now. Yeah, me too. It just says mannequin display, wig holder. A wig stand. display. <laughs> How about a, a wig, wig stand? stand. Okay. <laughs> sure. I mean, that doesn't sound as official, but whatever. We'll go with a wig stand. So I have taken off my white wig. I've placed it on the wig stand, the mannequin wig stand, if you will. And I am not judging other people's relationships. You know, the older we get, I mean, I've been in a 10-year relationship and an 8-year relationship, and relationships are hard. And when your friends or your family tell you about their relationship, whether it be a boyfriend or girlfriend, a friendship, a marriage, you're only hearing one side of the story. And you're only hearing one story in a major, major book. And what their point of view is on something may not be the other person's point of view. And You're only getting probably a negative thing. You know, think about it. When you talk to your friends about your marriage, guys don't do it as much as women do, but women tend to lead with the negative. He's driving me crazy. He doesn't do the dishes. If he watches cops one more time, I'm going to kill him. You're not going to open up wine night with your girlfriends being like, my husband sends me flowers every Thursday. He writes me the sweetest notes. And I don't know why women tend to do that. 
it's weird. Maybe it's just because we want to commiserate. It's kind of a communal thing to commiserate with one another. But you're usually only hearing negative. So you're thinking about someone's spouse in a negative because you're giving advice. And so I know that every day something is different and that I'm only hearing one piece of it. So I just tried to always take kind of a neutral in these type of things. And so when Matt talks about the fact that he did this and he stepped out and his marriage and he laid up with somebody else, yeah, that sucks. But I also didn't live Matt's life and I don't know what he was enduring every day in his marriage. I mean, maybe his wife was, I mean, he said that they, he thought that they had a good marriage, but maybe she was doing little things every day that made him feel a certain type of way and that made him not feel loved. I don't know. I'm not in it. So I think that that's one of the things that I try to do in that conversation and that I try to do in a lot of my friends' conversations is to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, we're only getting one portion of the story here. I don't know what dudes say. I'm trying to think of like yeah. what my friends talk about their significant others. Yeah. When like, you talk about Maddie, do you talk <laughs> about Maddie with your friends slash do your friends talk about their wives and girlfriends? Yes, but I don't really know if it's, it's not really negative or positive. It's like kind of just both, but I do think you're right. It does seem like women are always like, Oh, my husband does this and annoys the shit out of me. And maybe that's just, movie projection so that always oh my husband like i don't know why you would bring up cops because who the hell watches cops too much during quarantine my dad has watched cops every day it's some cop live stream and he lives for it and my mom is like i am going crazy if i have to watch one more episode of cops okay you know what though i'm gonna get back to the other thing because i think it's <laughs> interesting women change men more than men change women hmm, go if on dating someone we always talk about girlfriend chameleons uh-huh. and I it's basically when you're dating someone and you become like your significant other you change the things that you like to impress or make your significant other like you more and I feel like dudes do that more than women do that you know there are a lot of guys that will try to hide I'm not saying women don't do it but I do know several guys who like it's a sort of thing where when they date someone their interests change who they are changes if you're really into playing video games and all of a sudden you just stop playing video games and you try to act like you were never into that. Or if you're like, hey, I'm totally into this thing. I'm totally into reading now. And you've never even read before in your entire <laughs> life. And didn't like to read books at all. I think guys do that more than girls do that. So I don't feel like guys complain to other guys about their women. But I do feel like guys sort of sniff that out. They'll be like, hey, so-and-so was never like this before. And now all of a sudden they're dating, you know, Stacy, And <laughs> he's a totally different person. That to me happens way more to dudes. They're chameleons in a lot of ways. Because I do think dudes more try to hide exactly who they are. Because dudes are kind of weirder than girls. I also think a lot of dudes just simply grow up when they meet someone that they love. For your friend Rick to be like, oh, guys, you know what I'm super into now? The produce at the farmer's market on Saturday mornings. It's so fresh. I love getting things <laughs> yeah. locally sourced. You know that's coming from Stacy, But also, he's probably a single dude that was eating frozen pizza every night, and now he knows the joys of asparagus. So that's a good point. Think about it. When guys are... In college, they're hanging out with dudes all the time. They're drinking beer. They're playing video games or watching sports. When they graduate, they're living with dudes again. They're drinking beer. They're hanging out. They're watching sports. They're playing video games. They're partying. They're wearing Hawaiian shirts. And then they meet a girl, and the girl's like, hey, guess what I'm not into? Video games and Hawaiian shirts and you getting wasted five nights a week. And they're like, you know what? I'm kind of tired of that too, because it is exhausting. At some point you just hit a stage in your life where you're like, maybe I will retire the floral print and retire the Keystone light (laughs) and we'll work in a button down in a Manhattan and it's okay. You're still drinking and you're still wearing a fun shirt, but it's just a nicer shirt and a nicer drink, but you're doing it to satisfy the person that you love. 
Yeah, but then sometimes I've seen like where they'll break up and then they'll just sort of revert back to the person they were before. And really? That, and that tells me that they actually never were that person. They were just trying to keep this relationship along because I do think a lot of relationships at the start and I have experience in this, not with my wife, but in previous relationships, which is probably why they didn't work out. You kind of try to hide who you are for as long as possible, right? And then oh, you yeah. slowly sort of let out who you are, and then that's probably how long your relationship lasts. Or if it lasts for a while, then or, or you end up getting married, then you're okay with sort of the imperfections and the weirdness about the other person. But you're not who you are for many, many months, if not years, of a relationship. Okay, two questions for you. What's the thing you hid from Maddie the longest, and what is the thing that Maddie has changed about you? Wow. Um, So Maddie and I were friends before we dated. So she knew, I mean, I was just who I was. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that we work so well together is neither of us are uncomfortable being who we are around the other person and have always been that way, which is really cool. But I've had, I'm trying, man, what have I changed? I mean, I've definitely played less video games with Maddie, I guess, especially now that I'm married. But Maddie knows that I like playing Call of Duty and FIFA. So she's not going to try to be like, hey, you need to stop. She knows that's something that I enjoy. If you're out there and you're dating someone and you try to make someone stop doing something that they like doing, that's part of them, your relationship's probably not going to work out or it's not going to be a happy relationship. Unless it's something like really detrimental, like a drug problem. Like, yeah, you should probably try to help them out in that situation. You know what we're not going to do anymore? Math. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? Good call. But it's like, if they're like, hey, you know what you should not do anymore? I don't want you to play FIFA anymore. I'm Chances are I'm not going to marry that girl. It's just not going to work out. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you can basically take a, you know, whitewash or whatever, everything about a person that you can't just start from a blank canvas. Like you need to pick and choose the things that you actually think you can change or make better. But typically people are who they are. I don't think people change very much. I really don't. I've always said that. You know, I think they can get better as human beings, but they just kind of are who they are. So I think if you want to try to get rid of something that your significant other or somebody that you're interested in likes, you got to be careful with that because if you're taking things away, that is part of what makes them happy. And I've seen a lot of guys, and I think it happens more to guys. Guys sort of don't want to hide, all, or they do try to hide. I'm not saying because girls definitely try to hide some of the crazy or some of whatever the things that they do and then slowly let it out as the relationship goes. And that's probably the safe way to do it. But guys, to me, change things. Like you're right with the shirt, with playing video games, with betting with whatever because if they were to put that all on the table i'm pretty sure they would probably never get dated yeah of course not so what did you hide from maddie i don't know what i hid from maddie i really it's really hard because i genuinely was who i was because we were friends beforehand and and vice versa like i said i've definitely played less video games but i remember like in previous and in prior relationships i 100 percent used to lie about things that I would do because I didn't want to have the argument about whether or not I was doing something that she wanted me to do or not. Like I would lie about, like if I was hanging out with my friends one night, I would lie about that because I knew I was going to get shit for whatever I was doing. It was probably because we were playing too much Call of Duty back in the day. And that was a release, a reason that a relationship didn't work out because I didn't want to fight the battle during the time. So I'd kick the can down the road or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it would always end up blowing up in my face. But you know, I look back and I go, well, that wasn't the right relationship for me because she just wouldn't let me be the person that I wanted to be. So it's hard for me to say with Maddie because it started so different than normal relationships. I'm trying to think if there's anything that I would hide. And I don't know if I could hide stuff. Okay, so like here's one. I love to sing. I sing every day. I put on music when I'm in the shower. I put on music when I'm in the car. I love to sing at the top of my lungs. I have a 
terrible voice. I mean, honestly, it's like Cameron Diaz and my best friend's wedding. Just atrocious. So that is something that I would hide from a dude that I liked. I wouldn't be in the car. I wouldn't throw on Celine Dion and go for it the way that I would if I was alone. Is that an example of something you would hide? Yes, but that's not something that's that serious you know no it's not that, but you, neither is video games you know what i mean but yeah no video no 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 no. video games are a problem for a lot of women for a lot of women i think there are a lot of women most women are not cool with their significant other playing it's not a video game they just, just think it's not worth their time yeah. or whatever and i like, mean i'm not into it i just don't i've never played video games i don't understand them but also Here's the thing. While I think video games are lame and I'm not into them, I don't expect my boo to also love Bravo the way that I do. So if he wants to go play Call of Duty with his friends, I'm going to be like, cool, I'm queuing up the housewives. See you later. That's why I don't think that I would care. And I think a lot of women are like, do your thing because I want to watch Bravo without you bitching at me. Like, I want to drink my white wine or, you know, I want to pour a heavy glass of rosé and watch Vanderpump Rules and I need you to shut the hell up. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, if and, you I, sh- and I've always said this to Maddie. So many couples, I feel like they think that they need to do everything together and watch all the shows together and like hang out. I think it's very healthy and it's something that you should do. You should have your own things to do. There are many nights during the week that Maddie will come up and read a book and I'll be downstairs playing Call of Duty. Or there are many nights during the week where she's watching a show that I have no interest in watching. And that's okay. Or vice versa, I'll watch a show that she has no interest in watching. I think it, you need to have differences. Like you can't, be all in on everything your other your significant other does because that's weird too. There needs to be some healthy balance. You need to let that person be who they want to be. Obviously, you're gonna have to dial some stuff back. Um, back in the day, like I mean, we used to do like Madden franchises for seven days a week, and we would do like seven, eight seasons in a row and bang things out. And because I didn't have anything else to do, right? Obviously, I can't do that today. But you do still need to let that person be who they are. Sounds cool, Steve. Yeah, what? I'm out here giving great advice. This is, but again, I do think men have to hide that more than women do. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but I do feel that way. Well, we talked about this on the podcast before. I listened to another podcast once that said, if you really want a relationship to work, that early on when you catch a vibe from somebody, you need to straight up say, what's your crazy? And you need to reveal it mm-hmm. early on. And if you can live with it, great. Because honestly, normally it takes, what, a year to get the bomb? I mean, okay, let's just use Matt, for instance. Okay, if I'm dating Matt, And a year into the relationship, he's like, oh, guess what? I cheated on my ex-wife. It was an affair. I was in love with the other woman. This carried on for many, many months. And I didn't know that right away. I'd be like, hey, maybe something you should have told me before. Maybe something that I would have liked to know moving forward before I was already really invested in this. But what day are you supposed to, like, when are you supposed to say that? That's insane. You you can't do that early. But that's what the podcast was saying. But this isn't, all right, I'm not saying that you should be like, what's his name? Uh, is it what's the guy's name from Love Is Blind? Mark. Dude who lied about hooking up with other dudes. Oh, oh, not Cameron. Stand by. I need to know this guy's name. Carlton. Charles. Oh my God! It was Carlton. Amazing pull, Steve. Carlton, right? Yeah, yeah. Carlton. Like, that's with diamond. A situation where, where, yeah, where before you get engaged, and I know that was a ridiculous circumstance. Like, yeah, all right, you, you have to say that. But I think if you put all that stuff on the table too soon, that's also a recipe for disaster. Because then you don't even know this person. You're not even in, you're not invested enough in this person, and maybe you really like them, but you're you're much less willing to give them a chance to go further if you unleash the crazy too early. I think three months is a pretty good barometer. If we've been hanging out for three months, okay, because yeah. six months, especially if you're our age, if you're in your 30s, six months is an investment. If I date somebody for six months, I'm into them, like pretty into them, right? Three months in, I'm interested enough, but I, I'm not 
I love you yet, probably, right? So at three months, yeah, if I'm dating Carlton, he should probably reveal that he also has sex with men. I would like to know that before I get to the six-month yep. mark. That's fair. That's totally fair. But I, I don't think it has to be – we're not laying all this stuff on the table within the first month. That, to me, is insane because that's how crazy people date. I would honestly like to know in, like, the first month. I would just at this stage of the game rather be like, all right, give it to me straight. What do you got? Packing back there. Actually, let me rephrase that because people will think that that's sexual. I'll just say, what, <laughs> what's in your closet? Let me know what you've done. What's your weird stuff? I want to know now. Because honestly, the most offensive thing to me right now is wasting my time. Actually, I'm going to rephrase yeah. that again because in quarantine, I have all the time in the world. But previously, I got very annoyed. <laughs> like now I've got nothing but time so you can waste it. But previously, I would get so angry when people would waste my time. Like, do not send me 16 emails when you could have sent me one or we could have hopped on a 10-minute phone call. Do things succinctly. Do things effectively. And I feel like dating is the same way. Don't waste my time. Come out with it at some point early on. Let me decide if I'm into it moving forward. I'll come out with whatever my crazy is, and then we can decide. It is funny, though. The older you get, the more it's like that. The more it's like you put the chips on the table, and then it's just like, all right, what's a deal breaker and what's not? The younger you are, I feel like the more that stuff sort of is put on the back burner until, I don't know, as you said, like six months or so. But you're right. If you're in your 30s, your early 30s, mid-30s, whatever, at that point, you kind of just are like, all right, I'm tired of playing the games. Like, do you have some sort of weird skeleton in your closet or could we move <laughs> forward without any surprises? And I do think people have less patience for it and are more willing to open up about it the older they get. You know what's funny, though? When you're younger, your deal breakers are like, and again, I'm just pulling stuff out of thin air. I would never date someone with tattoos. Can't be a smoker. <laughs> you know, I, I only want them to have gone to, you know, some kind of school. I would like them to have this type of job, whatever kind of minimal thing it might be now it's like are they employed yeah. like like your barometer now you're, now you're dating post malone lookalikes but without the musical talent right you're just like are they nice you're like, to you know me? what he's actually kind of cute he can i could clean him up a little bit you know all right yeah he's a little bit grungy and right. maybe he felt bad but he's really nice you're just you're willing to accept way more the older that you get and it's not because you're becoming more desperate it's just you realize a lot of that little stuff just doesn't matter and i I think the older you get too, especially if, if you've dated around, you realize that so much of who you fall for isn't what's on paper. It's your interactions with them. It's your chemical vibe with them. It's who they are as a person and that what they are to you in real life could be something that on paper you would have read a blind resume and been like, oh, I'll never date this person. And then you date them and you're in love with them. Yeah. I mean, as I said before, I wouldn't say that I had a type. And I wouldn't say that Maddie is necessarily that type, which is crazy. And I now I'm like, thank God I didn't stick to my type. That was stupid as hell. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of relationships and how difficult they are, I think we've really learned that recently with the breakup, the unfortunate breakup Ugh. of Jay Cutler and Kristen Cavallari. And Steve, I know you've been really having a tough time dealing with this. And I just want to open up, like if this is the a safe space and the circle of trust. Let's just have a feeling circle, okay? Just tell me how you're feeling. Let's walk through this together. So we haven't really talked about it, right? We talked about it very briefly with Will, mm -hmm. and I've sort of been reading and I've been keeping up on things, but the one thing that sort of is evident here is, doesn't it seem like Jay is absolutely crushing the post-fallout of the announcement? He has done nothing. He has literally said nothing, really done nothing, because all the news seems to be coming from Kristen's camp. It was the whole, oh, and who knows what these rumors are. Maybe they're not real. Maybe, maybe they are. Maybe they're not. It is what it is. But, like, one of the most recent ones was, 
oh, Kristen was tired because Jay was lazy and unmotivated and didn't really want to do anything. And you're like, well, okay, do you realize that you married Jay fucking Cutler? Who, <laughs> that's who he is. I don't know what, what else to tell you. That's who you married. And also he made like $100 million playing football, which is a really hard thing to be successful at. It's okay if he wants to chill for a little while or chill for the rest of his life. I mean, again, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, but that just seemed like a weird sort of like, oh, I'm going to drop this out there and make it seem like, you know, Jay is the bad guy here, but it actually kind of seemed to blow up in her face. And then the one that really got me, and I don't know if you saw this, and you had to have seen this, Michelle, but if anyone didn't see it, you're aware of the, if Jay had Instagram account, right? Yes, yes, yes. Isn't that him? And it's, it's not actually him, though. It's Kristen. Kristen's the one that runs the account. She's admitted that she runs the account. Ooh. It's like almost like a Jay parody account, right? And what happened was for Mother's Day, she posted a photo of, it was basically all of their backs. It's, it's Kristen and then the three kids looking out on the beach. Jay is not in the photo. It's a really nice photo. And the caption is, happy Mother's Day to all the moms. These three little ones picked a good one. Kristen. Everyone knows that you are the one that runs this account. If Jay had run the account and Jay was the one that posted this, it'd be like, wow, Jay, that's a, I mean, you first off won a million brownie points for posting that after basically a divorce announcement. But isn't it kind of weird that Kristen, I guess, posted that about herself on a fake Jay Instagram account? Wait, I'm pulling it up. She also commented as Kristen with a heart. I know. So maybe I'm missing something here, but Jay is crushing the PR fallout from this divorce, crushing it. Do you mean he's crushing it by not doing anything? By literally not doing anything. The more Kristen does, the more things that maybe get leaked out or the more things that seem, because it's really all coming from her. He hasn't said anything. The better Jay looks. Okay, a lot to unpack here. Jay, while obviously being a talented athlete, there was always something about him, whether it was his demeanor, even the way he played, that just seemed, for lack of a better word, lethargic. Like he just kind of... yeah. It almost is like everything about him moved as if it was underwater. Even though he comes back with these sharp comebacks and these retorts, he's just, he kind of gives me Lebowski vibes, like the dude vibes almost. Just like, this is me. This is what I'm going to do. If you don't like it, F off. Jay is kind of like my personal hero in a way, because a lot of people say that they don't care what other people think. And that's a hundred percent bullshit. Most people really care. Like I'll say that. And to some degree, I would say like 80% of that is true. And maybe 20% of me is, I still kind of care what some people think, right? Jay genuinely doesn't give a fuck. Jay is Jay. And that's who he is. That's what he was when he was playing quarterback in Vanderbilt. That's what he was like in Denver. That's what he was like in Chicago. That's what he was like on the reality show. That's what he was like at the bar. That famous story of a guy coming up to him saying, Jay Cutler, you know, oh my God, like I knew you here, blah, blah, blah. And he turns around and just says, don't care. That is Jay Cutler. <laughs> I didn't he. know that story. Oh and my God. Oh, my God, you've never heard that story? Oh, okay. For anybody that doesn't know, and I believe I believe somebody, I think it might have been the part of my take, I was like, asked him if this was true or not, and he said he didn't necessarily remember it, but I, I mean, it has to be true. Basically, there was a bar in Nashville. Some guy came up to him and was like, oh, my God, Jay Cutler, like, you're so great. Like, I love you, blah, blah, blah. Like, I was a huge fan of you back in the day and just kind of goes rambling on. And Jay is at a urinal peeing, and he just turns his head around backwards and just says, don't care. <laughs> and that is... That's Jay Cutler. This whole thing of like how maybe he's changed as a person. Maybe he has changed. Maybe he is a totally different person than when they first met. I have a hard time believing. But all of the evidence would show that, no, Jay is exactly who he's been his entire life. This is who Jay is. Maybe they're happy. The fact that they're getting divorced, they're going to be both happy uh, apart. And they've been somewhat civil since. But I have to say, 
all these excuses that keep coming out there about Jay and Jay potentially being the problem, I just have a hard time believing any of them. He might have been the problem in her eyes, but, you know, you talk about people changing over time. I think the problems, air quotes, problems have existed all the time because I just think that that's who he is. Jay is a really hard person to be around. I will never say that he... And again, this is just me watching him as a football player in interviews, in press conferences, and then watching the show and seeing how he interacts with Kristen. Jay is like a weird standoffish, kind of I don't care, very laissez-faire type dude. And that's really hard to be around. But Kristen wasn't also the easiest person to be around as well. Like For as many times as she would say that she didn't like drama and she didn't want any drama, Kristen loved drama. Like That was what the show was. Like She was always wrapped up in different drama things. So you can 100% fall out of love with someone over the course of time, and then maybe they haven't changed, but you just don't love that aspect of the person anymore, and you can fall out of love with them. That's totally fair. But to say that Jay was unmotivated or didn't want to do anything, that's just Jay Cutler, Kristen. I'm sorry. This is the guy that you married. Steve, take it or leave it. You would be all in on The Bachelor if Jay Cutler was The Bachelor. Oh, my God. But Jay wouldn't be an all on the... I mean, Jay wouldn't give a shit. Jay would be like Rosillo on the bed. He just wouldn't care. Like, there would be no interest whatsoever like he would half-ass it he like, probably wouldn't want to have any real intimate conversations with people um he'd be super rude to your face because that's how he is and it would probably be a great show but i would be all in yes that, that would be the first full season of the bachelor that i would ever watch can you imagine these girls coming to jay night one and he's supposed to talk to them and they're like giggling and saying oh my god you know i have a poodle and he's like don't care <laughs> don't care i could see him taking a phone call in the middle of a deep conversation and just like holding up a finger being like hold on one sec i gotta do something i could see him totally ghosting like if he's out to a date and they're out like, at a restaurant or something and he's not really feeling the vibe i could totally see him going to the bathroom and just never coming back yeah and they'd be like worry and he's like i'm drinking coronas by the pool alone and i'm having a great time <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly exactly the bachelor to me and i haven't seen it a lot of it i mean we watched that one season with chad and whatever i forget who who the bachelorette was even jojo oh, was jojo right it was jojo yeah all those people were like putting on an act and trying to be their best self jay would just be himself and that would be the guy that doesn't give a shit about this he'd be he would be cooler than the entire show Let's get some testing done and make sure everyone is COVID free. And we need 30 women and Jay in the mansion competing for Jay's heart. And I don't even know if we'll ever see The Bachelor again, or at least until there is a vaccine, because even if you're getting testing and you sign a legal document, how can you really say, yeah, we're going to put all these people in a house together and they're all going to be essentially making out with one another or making out with the same guy and oh, that's going to be, be okay? Easy. I think it would be easy because. They're already quarantined anyway, right? It's not like any of those people are going anywhere. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I just wonder how many of those... It's like a perfect system. Yeah, maybe we'll see an influx of bachelors now. Like, <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll be the only bachelor shows. A bachelor, you know how the housewives have a franchise in a lot of major cities? We're going to see bachelor, like bachelor Chicago or bachelor Connecticut. Yeah, like all those things, like like the real world to make a return, because all those people are just quarantined in the house. It's, it's like the easiest thing you could do. You don't even need real camera people. You just have cameras around the house. You don't need anybody. You just lock all the doors. Everybody has to stay in. It's actually probably the future of quarantine television. Okay, Jay, if you're listening, and I know that you are because I know you're a fan, get in touch with ABC. Get in touch with ABC. Take one for the team. Take one for America. Be the next Bachelor. Jay Cutler for Bachelor 2020. The campaign starts now. And let's. And let's be honest, Jay was the star of that show. Without like, a doubt. She was the reality star, and she was the one, obviously, that came from Laguna Beach, the hills, and she was the name, I guess, that got everybody in the door. Jay was the best part of that show, was the best part of that show. So he is now the Instagram star. I'm sorry, the, uh, the reality show star. I'm in. I want to talk to you about this, too. 
Imagine dating Jay Cutler, though, knowing that he has his very, very famous ex-wife. That has to be difficult. But what about when you start dating someone new and you realize that this person had a pretty serious relationship before you and they still have all the photos of them and the other person. I was watching this debate on Instagram, I think it was through E! News, about when you start dating someone new, seriously, like a couple months to a year, should you remove every photo that you had with your ex, not only from your social media, but from all your phones, computers, any sort of technology device? (laughs) It's an excellent question. It is an excellent question. And I've had it done to me. uh, Wait, you were erased? Ex-girlfriend many years ago that I dated for a long time. And I don't even know when it happened, but yeah, she went back and deleted all of the pictures of us. And I was actually not that mad about it. I was like, that's fine. I don't really care. Because honestly, think about this. Say you, you know, you, I don't know, who knows, you meet somebody on Tinder, you go on a date, you Facebook friend each other, or you, Michelle, you meet somebody at a bar or some soiree because you, we know you're fancy. If you did that, what? you come home. The shade is real, Steve. Wow. I'm sorry. I, I, well, no, because I, I can't thought, see through all the shade. I said Tinder originally. I'm like, well, all right, you're not on Tinder. So I guess I, can, I have to make it a Michelle. I have to Michelleize this whole thing. <laughs> so say you get back, you friend each other on Facebook, right? And then you start doing all the exploring. First of all, you know we're not going to friend on Facebook, okay? Let's just take it to Instagram. You're shading me again by suggesting I would friend a dude okay, on Facebook. fine. Fine. All right. So you find each other on Instagram. You're no longer a private. You can see all the photos. Every social media thing is now open to you freely. You can see all the stuff. If you saw somebody, say, Michelle, you meet this guy. You think he's really cool, whatever. You think it could be going somewhere. And you see that his Instagram feed is full of three, four, five, six different ex-girlfriends that he's had in the past however many years. And all those pictures are still there. You're going to be like, man, that's kind of weird. That's a lot. There's a lot going on there. I don't know if I'm cool with that. So I think actually the person's probably doing you a favor if they delete your photos for you. Totally. I think that this is a very complicated question because, okay, if I'm dating someone new, I know that that person has a past. At this stage of the game, everyone has dated someone else at this point, right? Everybody has an ex at this point. And I don't really care that you had an ex. Tell me the details that I need to know. Like, were you married? How serious was it? Did you live together? How did it end? If I run in to this person, is it going to be uncomfortable type situation, right? Just give me the stats. Give me the 411. I don't need to know that she used to cook you pancakes on Sunday morning. These are things that I don't need to know, right? But if you still have the photos on Instagram up of you two smooching over OJ and pancakes on Sunday morning with a caption like easy like Sunday morning, I then am going to click on her profile and spend half a day Mm -hmm. doing the deep dive being like, oh shit, what did you not tell me? Were you guys more serious than you let on? Why did you keep this from me? So all these things that I didn't care about before, suddenly if they're thrust in my face, I'm forced to care. I totally agree. Originally, when you when we were talking about this question, I was thinking like, I don't know, it seems kind of petty and stupid. And it might still be petty. It is kind of petty, but it's actually productively petty. There is definitely a productive pettiness to this where you're trying to erase this person from your life. And I think it's more metaphorical than it is literally. I think it's a little bit dramatic to be like, I'm going to get rid of all these pictures. But you're right. The drama that it comes with looking at someone's past relationships through pictures, because what's on Instagram, it's all the good moments, right? It's them hanging out in in Cabo, drinking margaritas, having a great time. And they probably both look good because they're like, there's great sun out there and they're both really tan. And then you start looking at yourself and you go, oh my God, am I as hot as this person? Am I as good as this person? Do they still like this person? Oh my God, they look like they were having so much fun. And all these things start going through your mind. It's better off for you as a person to not have to put the person that you're potentially dating through, through that kind of drama 
because that's what it's going to be. It's going to only be a problem for you. And say I was dating someone, right? Say I had just met them and whatever, got full access to the archives, I guess, if so you will. If I saw that this girl had five, six, seven boyfriends in the last couple of years, that'd be a massive red flag for me. And I would probably not be cool with that. There's a big difference between dating five, six, seven guys over the past few years and dating five, six, seven guys that you felt comfortable going Instagram official with. Yeah. I've never posted a photo of me and anyone I'm dating for this specific reason. I don't want to have to take it down if it doesn't work out. I don't want to have to explain it to everybody. I don't want to have to take the time to clear my feed of you. Really, I'm just saving myself the energy. Even if I get right, married. Instagram's easy, though. Yeah, but even if I get married, I don't even know if I'll post anything. Maybe I'll just be like, here's the cake for my wedding. It was delicious. You one time said, I don't want to throw my love in people's faces. I'm kind of the same way. The people in my life know who I'm with. People in my life know who I date. I don't need to throw it out there to the masses or to my quote unquote friends that are on social media. And I just think there's something to the art of mystery and the art of keeping certain things private. However... When you date someone and it doesn't work out, that is a chapter of your life. Just like high school is a chapter, just like college was a chapter. You know, I don't hang on to every shirt that I wore in college because you just cycle out of some things. So I don't necessarily. Oh, I do. Well, of course you do, Steve, because you'll probably make it cool. I have too many t-shirts. Cool yeah. again. I got holes in my Quinnipiac 2006 champion, intramural champion t-shirt. But listen, we won, so I can't throw that shirt. I can't throw the shirt away. Yeah, but I mean, that is a championship, so that's totally different. I would keep that, too. Sure. But. You can make the argument either way. If a relationship was an important chapter of your life, I can understand holding on to a ton of photos. But I can also see if you're like, hey, the book is closed. I don't need 500 pics of me and this girl or me and this guy boot up together smooching all the time. I get that too. But if I'm dating someone and we get to the point where we're living together or whatever and I get his phone and I'm searching for something and I see, oh, wow, you still have an entire folder dedicated to her and there's deep, deep archives here, I will, yeah, I will wonder why you're hanging on to those. This is maybe a stupid question because I've never actually tried to do it, but what about photos you're tagged in? Great question. Remove the tag. Because I don't Just know. Just remove the tag. I'm on Instagram right now, and I'm like, all right, photo, I'm tagged in. Boom, me and Maddie, right? Can I untag myself from this? I don't know. Yeah, it's the three dots in the right-hand corner. Oh, tag options? Yeah. I've untagged myself from, this post. Okay. from many things. Now, do you go so far to do that? Yeah, why not? That's probably smarter, too. Although, what if you're, yeah, interesting. How about this, though? What if your significant other is really into posting? Like, I get it because you're famous, right? So you I, am it, not. I, I get why you wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to put all that back. My, my Instagram account is most, and I'm honest about it. Like, I think my caption is hoop soccer and mostly pictures of my dog, which <laughs> is true. My Instagram is mostly just pictures of Maddie and my dog. But what if your significant other is like, hey, why aren't you posting any pictures of me? I've had that conversation <laughs> you before. You don't love me. I've had that conversation before. And it was an uncomfortable one and a tense one. And I was like, why do you care? Why do you care? I didn't well, understand. Because- I think you can understand that. It's like, hey, look, uh, I'm not serious enough for you to post on your page. Are you, are you embarrassed of me? Do you not want people to know that you're dating me? If that's what would go through dude's minds. Yeah, that's what he said. And I was like, I just, I don't <laughs> care about Instagram. I was like, I have to post on it for work. Half of the time, it's something that I have to force myself to do, not that I really want to do it. And also... But you'll post pictures of your friends, right? You'll post pictures of friends. That, yeah, that's like, what he said. That was know, his argument. You're break up with your friends. I'm basically just having this argument for yeah. you in the second part. Yeah, he, he was like, well, you're posting pictures of your friends. You post pictures of work. Why don't you post pictures of us? And I was like, I just don't want to have 
to deal with it. I also don't want people to know who you are. I'd get my mom off social media because dudes were in her DMs, like trying to friend my mom on Instagram. So I had to get her off Instagram. That's pretty weird. Yeah. You know, I've had some weird stuff happen to me in my life in regards to this job. And I just, I don't know. And maybe I shouldn't reveal who my friends are. Maybe I should just post pictures of a microphone every day and say, coming up from 7 to 10, here's this. But you have to reveal some parts of yourself. And I guess who I'm in a relationship with is more of a sacred thing to me than who my friends are. I love my friends dearly, but that just seems like more of a safe space, I guess. I don't know. And I'm not judging you for it because I actually think you're totally fair in doing that because, for example, like Kristen Cavallari like doesn't post pictures of her kids, or at least like their face. I totally understand and respect that. And I think it's not so dissimilar from the way that you wouldn't post a picture of someone that you were dating because it just opens you up to some weird stuff that you don't want to deal with, that you don't have to deal with. And it's totally different than posting a picture of your mom or your friends. I'm just asking those questions because I know people want to know, want to hear a response from you on it, but I'm totally with you. I agree. I wouldn't have an issue if a famous person just didn't want to deal with that kind of drama. You really think that people wanted to hear why I've never posted photos of guys? Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Wait, really? Have people ever asked you that before? No, but I guarantee you that people have thought about that. I had a guy that I was talking to once ask me that question. He pulled the what's your deal to me. And I was like, oh, nice. He was like, what's your deal? I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, he phrased it as you're a tough nut to crack. And I was like, okay, I think I'm a pretty open book, but go ahead. And he weird, weird dude. He was like, you know, you're you're in New York all the time. You're hanging out with these people. You're you're doing all this stuff. But do you date anybody? Are you in a relationship? He's like, I just didn't really know what your status was. Because you post these pictures with these, okay. hot, these hot guys, but they're obviously your friends. Can you blame him? Not that it's any of his business, but if he's interested in you, yeah. isn't that a legitimate question? Yeah, and I was like, well, you know what you could have done is what you're doing right now and just asked me. You could have tried to not <laughs> do the social media recon and you, just, you could have just said, hey, what's your deal? Are you yeah. dating anyone? <laughs> But Michelle, are we going to sit here and live in a pretend world? We know that everyone is going to go through it. The first thing you do when you meet somebody is you Google them and you try to find all those social media pages and you try to find out as much information about them without actually having to ask them about it. So I guess I respect the fact that he's not trying to play games. You have to understand and know that he has looked at your Instagram page and that's why he probably is asking that question. Because if he didn't see your Instagram page, he wouldn't think that way. I know, but this makes me hate Instagram and social media that much more because I'm like, oh, me too. I, my I, God, I it's all bullshit. It's this story that we're creating for ourselves. The me you see on social media is certainly me. It's like 22% of me. You know, you're not seeing what I'm doing day to day. You're seeing 22% seems high I know. Not just for you specifically, but like I would say the average person is like the 1% of stuff that people see. I mean, people only post the cool shit on Instagram, the stuff that makes them look super cool or like they're super interesting or they're traveling or they're like, they read one book. And of course they have to post the the cover on Instagram. So everybody thinks they're an avid reader. It's the 1% of people's lives. Cause if it was most of people's lives, it would probably be super freaking boring. So boring. The, more we get into like social media and the more it becomes such a big, I mean, it's already there. It's a huge part of our everyday lives, right? You wake up, first thing you do is you scroll your feeds, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, a news source, whatever. That's the first thing you do in the morning. And I understand that it's something that's not going away, but I also just, I kind of wish it would sometimes. I don't really post. I mean, I don't post on Instagram and Twitter as much as I used to. I certainly don't 
really go on Facebook at all. I don't have a TikTok. Uh, what else is there? I don't really use LinkedIn. I just don't. I don't care. And I see people post things on Instagram. And I'm like, yeah, but I know you, and I know that that's not actually how your life is. So, like, fuck, this is so stupid and fake. So, I don't know. I Listen, I, this is why, as I said, mostly soccer, hoops, and pictures of my dog. That's literally what my Instagram is. Right. What would mine be? <laughs> Aperol spritz, traveling, and fedoras. Except you've never seen me in a fedora. I haven't shared that with the world yet. <laughs> no, I've seen you in a fedora. You have a picture of in a fedora. I remember thinking about it. Uh, Wait, I do? On, i got to bring up your page. No. Yeah, There's a picture of me in a fedora? You 100% do. You 100%, do. No, you 100 hold on. Not my new fedora. This was a quarantine purchase. Okay, but it's a fedora. I'm pretty sure you have a fedora picture. Hold on. Wow. Oh, my God. Was Maybe, I? Well, Wait, was I always a fedora person and I didn't know this? Okay, I'm scrolling through my feed right now, and here's what it is. <laughs> Travel, sports, me sitting in a car promoting this podcast. <laughs> oh, running, running, running. Yeah, but I post the running picture so that people will donate to the Little Bit Foundation because they're a great organization, not because I actually care about yeah, running. Yeah, that's good. I'm trying to think if there's anything else about you. Like, yeah, it's mostly just sports, traveling, and running. Art. Fashion. Art, yeah, yep, yep. You're not really a food picture person. Here it is. <laughs> Where I is found it? it. Oh, is it me when I'm in overalls? Uh, no, it's you like on a, it looks like a beach. It's like a pier. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, yeah. like a weird hat. That's not a weird hat, Steve. That is a beach hat. It's a beach hat. So a straw fedora and a cloth fedora, totally different different vibes that's true that is very true we've talked about this different vibes um and speaking of instagram and the weirdness of instagram we think we have secured an instagram model for an interview we're working on it huge news huge news we're efforting it as they say in the biz but someone reached out to me shout out hannah if you're listening and she proposed that we speak to this instagram model who checks every box i mean hundred thousand plus followers promoting things exactly the type of person that steve and i wanted to talk to and hannah's making the connect so we hope to connect with this instagram model and talk to her on the podcast because we've got some questions and after things went down with matt so successfully we want to continue this we need to come up with a name for this like small talk investigates it's called we're we're curious (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i can't breathe passive aggressive questions we're curious (laughs) passive aggressive (laughs) questions about your life (laughs) Yeah, we're having you on to judge you, even though in a nice way. We didn't judge Matt. I thought, I thought we did a good job yeah. not judging Matt. No, it was hard to judge Matt. I thought I was going to go in and be like, have, and again, have these notions about him, and I didn't. And I'm again, with the Instagram model thing, I'm like, okay, I'm, I have a lot of questions, and I'm going to be like, this is stupid, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to probably end up liking this person because that's how it works. Oh, I'm sure we'll like her. She seems great. And I hope we speak to her. Okay, so before we wrap this up, Steve and I had homework we had to watch two more movies, and I think one oh. certainly went over better than the other. But last week, we brought you our reviews of Goodfellas and of The Big Lebowski from our movies we haven't seen yet, but probably should have seen that people are pissed off we haven't seen yet lists. And as we whittle those down, our homework was this. I was tasked with watching Saving Private Ryan, and Steve had to queue up and watch The Goonies. And I'm going to let Steve go first because I think his yeah. review might be a little uh, more brief than mine. So, Steve, you watch The Goonies. The floor is yours. And please, at the end, give your cigarette rating. Uh, so this was really hard for me. The movie came out in 1985, and it's 35 years old. And you know my theory on how really nothing is timeless and I would defend that to the death. And unfortunately, this movie 
just does not hold up. And again, this is my first time viewing it. So there's no nostalgia factor. There's no any of that. Like I remember my childhood or like I have, you know, I watch this with my family or my parents or whatever. There was none of that. I'm just coming into this thing as like, I'm flying and blind. I kind of knew what it was about, but you know, I have no sort of opinions on it whatsoever. And I have to say, Michelle, this was a bad movie. It's a bad movie. It's not a good movie. And I say that with all due respect. And I know people, when they say with all due respect, they're like, they actually don't. They actually just mean to disrespect it. I understand why people would like this movie in 1985. I understand why people who are a little bit older than us or even around our age would grow up watching this movie and be like, oh, my God, it's so cool. It's a bunch of kids, and they're doing these crazy adventures, and they're trying to find this pirate One-Eyed Willie, and, which, mm-hmm. by the way, One-Eyed Willie, super weird sexual name. Anyway, going on. <laughs> uh, that's the only thing I could think of when I heard when he kept saying one on Willie. But I understand why people would like this movie. I totally do. But the problem is the quality of it, the acting, the sound, none of it holds up. None of it holds up. And the entire time I'm sitting here thinking and I'm going, this movie walked so things like Stranger Things could run. Because I get the premise. Like I like the premise of kids and they're kind of quirky, and there's like a weird chubby one, and he's always kind of funny, but everybody mm-hmm. kind of makes fun of him. And I get that. It works. It worked in Stranger Things. It worked in the, in the new It movie, the one on the Stephen King novel. It works. So I understand that the premise is there. It's a good concept. But the problem is, I was so amazed at how bad the production and the sound quality was. And again, 1985, it's old, but I couldn't understand half the things that any of these kids were saying. I know kids are like kind of not great actors as is, although I do think that there are some kids now that do a really good job in some of these kids movies, but it was so choppy and so weird. And I just like could not get into it. I found myself on my phone for most of the time. So as much as I hate to say it, Michelle, like it was a real struggle for me to get through this movie. The few takeaways that I had were Sean Astin was in this and he was kind of like the main kid character and he wasn't bad or anything. I don't know. He was probably about like eight to 10 range. I'm terrible at knowing how old kids are, but The entire time, I can only picture Sean Astin as one thing, and that is Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. But I do understand that he was also in Rudy, so he was in The Goonies, Rooney, and he was in Lord of the Rings. That's a pretty goddamn impressive trilogy of movies to be in, even though I'm kind of hating on this movie. But The Goonies is a cult classic, I'll understand that. Sean Astin has been in three of the most iconic movies of the last 30 years. It's a hell of a resume, Steve. It's crazy. And then Josh, like a young Josh Brolin, who is like this kind of like heartthrobby dude who's wearing, by the way, this further proves my theory that no one in the 80s could look good. No one in that movie looked good whatsoever, period. Josh Brolin was a babe in that movie. Josh Brolin, no, he was wearing like a whole gray sweatsuit and he was wearing like a cutoff, uh, you know, sweat tank. He's got a red bandana on. It was a terrible, terrible look. But I will say like, you know, he was sort of the heartthrob of the thing. But Josh Brolin, another guy, hell of a run. He was Thanos in all of the Avenger movies. No Country for Old Men, True Grit, Sicario, and obviously when he was young was in the Goonies. So as much as I didn't like this movie, I appreciated watching some of these actors that I've seen growing up playing younger roles. I thought you were going to love the Goonies. I thought that this was right up your alley. Kids, treasure map, quirky, kind of old school vibe. I'm surprised that you didn't like it, but... I understand your take on it because I watched Goonies when I was a kid, and it certainly has a nostalgia factor for me. I was texting with Maddie as you guys were watching it, and she was like, why is there a disfigured man in the basement? And then she texted me 10 minutes later and was like, I repeat, why is this man in the basement? (laughs) 
But you know what's funny is Sloth, I didn't know he was from this movie. Obviously, I'd never seen it. But I knew who Sloth was. I'd seen pictures of him. There are memes of him all the time, right? And the whole, hey, you guys thing, I never knew that that was Sloth. Yeah. I knew that phrase, but I never knew what it was from. So I guess Sloth was probably the best part of the movie because I could finally realize who this guy was and all these different memes and things that I've seen for the last 30 years. By the way, I also did not know that the blonde girl was a girl until about halfway through the movie. Oh, really? Didn't know. Yeah, thought it was a dude. Okay, well, I'm glad. Weird haircut. Again, again, 80s, not the greatest decade, if we're being honest. So um, the Steven Spielberg vehicle, The Goonies, Steve Cerruti's small talk movie review is? I could be really shitty and harsh here and give it less than a five, but I understand all the things that you mentioned about it being nostalgic and the treasure map thing and kids. I get why this movie made sense in 1985. So I'm not going to kill it. I'll give it five cigarettes just because I respect what it was, but it just doesn't hold up, and I wouldn't recommend anyone watch it in 2020. Okay. I thought you were going to go two, so I'll take a five. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be a dick. I'm not going to be a dick. I would never watch the movie again, and I had a hard time watching it the first time, but if I watched it when I was your age, what was the first, what'd you watch it when you were like 10 for the oh first time, maybe? Even younger, younger probably? Younger than that. Remember how people had VHS movies and you would watch them at slumber parties before DVDs? I mean, this was me as a super- That's what you would do. Yes, super young kid. We had Domino's. We had a pint of Pepsi, and we're queuing up the Goonies in our sleeping bags. I mean, I was probably like five, six years old, maybe, maybe six. You only had so many tapes, and you would go to Blockbuster and rent one tape, and then you would have those 12 other tapes that you would watch, and the Goonies was in that rotation. And this is the final thing I wanted to ask you about this is— it's not just a Goonies thing, too. It's other movies that were made during that time, whereas if I had never seen them as a kid and I just watched them for the first time now, I'd probably also think they were bad. For example, there's no way if someone watches E.T. right now for the first time, they're going to be like, this is a good movie. There's no way, because it's a terrible production quality. I'm sure the acting is kind of weird. Another one I thought of, too, if I had never seen Home Alone, and I watched Home Alone tomorrow for the first time, I guarantee you I'd be like, what the hell? This movie is stupid. It's weird. You know, okay. it's not no. just the Goonies problem. No. It's like a time frame problem. Could not disagree more. I watch Home Alone multiple times every December and Home Alone and Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, both hold up. And yes, <sighs> there is a nostalgia factor there. But there, I mean, we've, we've got Catherine O'Hara. We've got Joe Pesci. There, Good point, Joe Pesci. We've got, uh, what's his name? Jeff Daniels. There are great actors that give great performances in those movies. And all of it is so unrealistic, but you have to go into it saying, yes, this would never happen. And this is just a great story that brings me joy around Christmas time. The best compliment I could pay the Goonies was if they had made that movie in 2020, I would like that movie. But, but they did. It like was if, made it was, in if it was the 2020 reboot of the Goonies? If it never existed, if they just made this movie, like the plot was the same, but they made it with technology, acting, better sound quality. If they made it like they make movies now, I think I would like it. All right. Five out of ten six Let's from Sarudi. We've already spent way too much time on the Goonies because we have a lot of time to spend on uh, Saving Private Ryan. <sighs> this is going to be the most complicated movie review that I ever give. And full transparency, I just finished this movie before we taped this podcast, and I had to regain composure. It got me all in my feels. So what I'm going to do, Steve, is I'm going to chronologically go through my notes and tell you what I was thinking as the movie was developing. Is that okay with you? Love it. Love it. Okay. 
first of all, I was pissed off because I started this at like eight o'clock last night. I go to bed early now that I'm on a morning show. I had to rent it for four bucks and it was three hours long. And that is a commitment. I can do an hour and a half. I can do two hours. Three hours is a commitment. Did I mention to you, Steve, that I don't love war movies? Don't love war movies. So I was already kind of in a shitty mood about it saying, you know what? Probably not going to love this. Probably not going to love this. Then this thing opens with a 30-minute battle scene. Bloodbath. I feel like battle scene doesn't even describe what what it was, okay? You know, you've got these guys pulling up to the beaches in Normandy, D-Day, and it was unbelievable, okay? I mean, it was great. The production value, the sound editing, the way that the battle unfolded was amazing. Even that first scene on the boat when you see Tom Hanks and his hand shaking, I thought, wow, if that was me, I'd be scared shitless. I don't know how these guys, like you have a guy throwing up on the boat as they're approaching. Yeah, I think all of that was great. But I could have done with 15 minutes of an epic battle scene. I mean, 22 minutes into this thing, I'm Googling, is there a love interest in Saving Private Ryan? Because oh. I'm just like, my God, is this ever going to end? You've got dudes laying there with their guts out, peeps are on fire, guys' arms are getting blown off. A girl can only take so much of a battle scene, okay, Steve? I get it. I was nervous about the beginning. I was. But then I thought once that you got into it and sort of the story started to evolve, I thought you would like it more. So hopefully that did happen. The positive notes that I had from the endless battle scene were... The sound editing and that I need to go back. I didn't have time, like I said, to do any sort of research on Saving Private Ryan because I watched it, jumped in the car, came to the studio to record this podcast. I would not be surprised if that won an Oscar for sound editing when the guy is the guys are going under the water and there's all the dead bodies and then they're popping up and there's bullets flying everywhere. And then you go under the water and it's the the sound is silent and you just hear the waves and then you pop up and it's bullets that had to be so incredibly intricate and difficult to edit from a sound perspective, and I respect it. I'm trying to look up. I know it didn't win Best Picture, which is bullshit. Somebody actually tweeted us about this. Hold on, I'm looking this up right now. One of my notes was, I'm going to need Botox from scrunching my face so much during this endless 30-minute battle scene. It's tough. I mean, it's up there with anything in Game of Thrones. Oh, my God, I I thought it was way worse in Game of Thrones because it was so long. It It sets the scene, though, of... Obviously, this is a a fictional movie, but it's historical fiction in that there's some truth to this. And obviously, the truth is that real men did storm the beaches of uh, of Omaha Beach in Normandy on, what was it, uh, June 6th, I think, 1944. And you need that perspective. I thought you needed all of that to understand everything else for the rest of the movie and just the gravity of Mm -hmm. what was going on in the background. Because without all of that, you don't really understand how difficult it was for them to save Private Ryan and what all the drama that would go into that and whether or not these guys felt like it was worth it for them to put their lives on the line to save, you know, one person. I thought you needed that backdrop of just how bloody and how scared these people were to sort of carry you through the rest of the movie. Right. So then once we got off the beach and the battle had ended and we got back to America That's when the movie took kind of a a more positive turn for me because it was actual dialogue. The story started to develop. It wasn't just this battle. All right. 
I literally wrote down the mother on the farm who lost three sons. I cannot cope. Okay. I just, you know, that scene of all the women typing out the letters to the families who had lost people in the line of battle. And, you know, to think that a mother lost three sons and how many people, like, think about if that was your job. Okay. Like, yes, the guys in battle, we're going to talk to them and the magnitude of that and, and what it means historically for our country. But even a job stateside that is considered a safe job, imagine if your job every day was to type up correspondence that is going to go to a family to inform them that their child or their husband or their brother or whomever died fighting for your freedom or they died in the line of duty and you may never get their body or know really what their last moments were like. I can't even imagine the emotional toll just that would take on a person every day. Them finding in the whole pursuit of Private Ryan wasn't real, but that whole, I guess the story behind it of the brothers dying and one of them being alive, that was true. Wow. Which is even more ridiculous. It's incredible. Totally. So as the movie developed and you get to know the characters, one of the things that I liked and hated about the movie was very Game of Thrones-ish for me, was as soon as you kind of liked a character, they would die. You know, like as soon as I warmed up to Vin Diesel and I loved his attitude and his toughness and I was like, oh, my God, he's saving the girl. And then boom, he's dead. Heartbreaking scene. So sad. So sad. He he just wants to do the right thing. And then boom, he's dead. Yeah, he gets hit by a sniper round and obviously nobody can really save him because they're going to get shot by the sniper. And so you just watch him sort of die. And it's it's one of probably half a dozen scenes in this movie that I think are up there as far as some of the greatest cinematography of all time i'll get to my favorite scene in a while it's, it's not one of the two obvious ones but that is up there when vin diesel does get shot and ends up dying and it's, the blood is running and it's raining it's one of the more heartbreaking scenes there is i guess my general theme of this movie until the very end was that it had a very unique way of being tense and scary but also boring i was just kind of like oh wow another really long battle scene are we going to find out if private ryan is in fact saved like are we ever going to get the payoff at the end and then I mean, we can get into some of the other intricacies of different scenes, but I just have to jump ahead to this because I just felt like a lot of it was, yes, it was very important to have those battle scenes because it set the tone for the ending, but the ending to me was so simple and it was so unexpected and it hit me in a way that I was so unprepared for. So I'm sitting there and when they're in that battle on the bridge and I'm just like, oh my God, is this thing ever going to end? I've got to leave and go tape this podcast with Steve. Like how much longer of this do I have to endure? And then all of a sudden Tom Hanks is dead and an elderly private Ryan is over his grave with his entire family behind him looking at his wife saying, tell me I've led a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. It was like the floodgates in me were unleashed. Niagara Falls was unleashed. It was like all of this tension and what I thought was boring and that I was kind of not into the entire time was just kind of like a fishing rod that kept getting cranked and cranked and cranked and all of a sudden it was cast out and I just could not stop crying and I think just the (laughs) intensity of it all and the magnitude hit me in that moment of just how brave these people were and how they were capable of doing something that I would never be capable of doing. In that scene, the bridge battle, I don't even know what you want to call it. There was a scene when Tom Hanks kind of got knocked to when he was disoriented and he's looking around at different soldiers and he's trying to make sense of everything. And it 
goes to Matt Damon, who's sobbing, rocking back and forth, essentially in the fetal position. And in my notes, I was like, I would be Private Ryan. I would be the one that was debilitated. I would not be able to do anything because I would be so afraid. Steve, you would have been the sniper. You would have been the sniper in the tower, saying your prayers, (laughs) taking out everybody. That would have been you, slow and steady, ready to go, very effective. I would have been Private Ryan saying, I'm not going to leave my brothers, but then actually not being that effective, being in the fetal. I would have had the bravado to say, yes, I'm tough, I'm going to stick it out. But then when we're in the battle, I'm sobbing and not able to do anything. Well, I appreciate that you think I would be the sniper, but I would definitely be Private Ryan um, because (laughs) I don't understand how anyone could be put in. And that's what another thing that I think this movie does an incredible job of doing is showing how these are just dudes. These are just guys. They're not soldiers. They are soldiers, but they come from all different walks of life. And they're not like, you know, all of a sudden, like, hey, there's a world war. You got to go fight for the future of your livelihood and your family. And it's different than wars, I guess, now. It's a world war. It's World War Two, And if you don't win this war, like, Germany's going to probably conquer your country. The ramifications and all of the drama in the background is just unlike anything ever. And these are guys that are they're just guys from all over the country that were one week working on cars as a mechanic. And the next week, they're like in basic training. And then a couple weeks later, they're in Normandy fighting on a beach. The juxtaposition of those two things to me is, I mean, everyone call it, they're called the greatest generation. And for a reason, I'm never not amazed. And I thought the movie did an incredible job of showing and depicting that these were just guys. They were just regular guys. Yeah. Brooklyn, New York, USA on the back of your shirt. You know, you're just uh, a guy from I Brooklyn. Get to, I got to get to that in a little bit. Oh, my God. Edward Burns. Uh, Ed Burns. My God. Love him. But to your point, here's a guy who is a French-German translator who all of a sudden he gets put on this mission and he's like, I haven't held a weapon since basic training. I did not think that this was yep. going to be part of the gig. And they're like, well, guess what? It is now part of the gig. Grab a gun. Here we go. You're right. The beginning and the ending I guess that's what sells a movie with the beginning and the end, right? Because that's just, you know, what people remember. And this movie, maybe more than any movie ever, has just an incredible beginning and an incredible ending for two very different reasons. Actually, my favorite scene is not either of those. Now, those are the two that are going to get the most sort of recognition. I'll get to my favorite scene in just a second. But I do want to say about the ending. They did an incredible job of also finding a guy that looks exactly like older uh, Matt Damon. He looks exactly like older Matt Damon. It was incredible. When they do the blurred thing where they, like, transition from – Matt Damon after like yeah. current day in like 1944 all the way until Matt Damon in, t- in 1999 or whatever year that was. The actor looks just like old Matt Damon. I was amazed by that when I watched it again. Cause I didn't actually watch the whole movie again. Cause I, I actually saw it a couple months ago. So I was like, you know, I don't need to see it again, but I watched a lot of my favorite parts on YouTube cause they're available. And I was just amazed to see that the guy looked exactly like Matt Damon. And you're right. Him asking his wife, whether or not he lived a good life and was hoping that his life was worthy enough to be saved and all these other guys to sacrifice. It's that going through his mind and the internal sort of drama that was there. I literally watched that and I didn't see any of the other movie and I was still like tearing up. It was that emotional. And you've watched this epic journey to save this one guy because his three brothers were killed in the line of duty. And you think about the fact that he was also a soldier and he also was in battle and put his life on the line. But you think about him and just the pressure and responsibility that he must have felt knowing that they died in this mission to save him and bring him home to his mother. And imagine living with that every day and wondering if you've led a good life. Yeah. Yeah, And if you're worthy of it, when in fact you're worthy just by being you because you, you sacrificed so much to save your country. Okay. So when I'm watching this, right, I'm thinking, yes, a lot was on the line and these people that went out there and 
sacrificed so much knowing that, hey, if I go out there, there's a huge chance that I'm going to die. And if I don't die and I return home, what is my quality of life going to be like? But these are people that live through the, the depression. These are people that they didn't have the resources that we have right now to know how extreme war is. Yes, you have this idea in your mind, but it's more or less you don't have the tangible evidence of what you're going to face Does that make sense? And Mm -hmm. and a lot of these people at the time, you know, their jobs or their lives aren't as sedentary as ours are today. You know, they had just lived through a tougher time than we have. Now we're so, we have so many creature comforts and we're so incubated. I mean, even look at what we're dealing with now. Our task as Americans and as citizens of the world is to stay home and If you're lucky enough to have a home, a comfortable and safe home, you probably have Netflix. You can get your groceries delivered to you. All of these things that we're complaining about are light years ahead of what they were dealing with back then. I just think that inherently they were tougher because of the situations that they were dealt with. Now people are, are watching movies like this. You can watch documentaries of actual footage of war. You have a tangible piece of evidence that you can look at and say, wow, this is what it's going to be like when... Or even if you're in the army now, I'm sure you go through simulations where there's guns being shot at you and you're prepared in that way. Whereas I think to your point about these being just guys, a lot of them probably were like, yep, I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve my country. But they really had no idea what was waiting for them when they did this. Definitely. But also to your point, like war is just different now, too. It's, it's less personal. It's more, you know, thrones and things like that. It's less man on man, uh, obviously woman on woman, too. But like just to use that term. A combat. It's less of that. It's not as much of people just out in a field shooting each other or whatever. It's, it, there is still some of that, but it's to a much lesser degree as well. So I always look back, and I've said this before too, is that you know World War One and World War Two, those were maybe the worst wars to be in because it was the time when you could inflict the most amount of damage in the most personal ways. Whereas before that, you're talking about like the Civil War, guns, they didn't have machine guns and things like that that could just take out entire boats of people on a beach. And so, yes, it could have been gory, but it was less gory to some extent, but it was still personal. And whereas today, you can just fire a drone from somewhere and kill a bunch of people and right. like, no one actually has to do it. You know, it's between World War One and World War Two, it was like the perfect storm of you're inflicting the most damage in the most personal way possible. And it's probably the toughest war to maybe you've ever fought. And I mean, I put Vietnam up there as well, just because of conditions, but that's another thing that I thought this movie and movies like 1917 did a really good job of sort of portraying. Okay. So I'm going to give my general review and I'm going to give you the positives and the negatives. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. We'll start with the negatives because they are far less than the positives. The negatives are this war scenes, the battle scenes too much, too long. You know what? I get the point you're trying to make. You could have done it in half the time. I know most people that watch this movie, like you think that that's the beauty of this film, that what they were able to do and how they were able to depict battles like that is the beauty of it. To me, I'm more about the entire story, and I just think it could have been um, condensed a little bit, if you will. Half hour shorter for you. If the battle scene was 33 minutes, let's meet somewhere around 17. I think you could have done it in 17. Meanwhile, I'm the guy who, like, the entire... Return of the King, Lord of the Rings movie is basically a battle scene, and it's like three to four hours long, depending on what if you're watching the extended version or not. And I'm like, can this thing be twice as long? Oh my god! Thank you for telling me that because now I will never watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you. I wouldn't even try to put you through that, even though I would love to see your reaction. But I just know that it wouldn't be for you. Around minute seventeen of the battle, I'm googling 
Is there a love interest? I'm scrolling Instagram. <laughs> it was kind of a love interest. I mean, you know, Captain Miller's wife. Oh, okay. Yes, they're kind of, but you didn't really get to see them together. You know what I mean? Which was upsetting. No, yeah. It's more of a, she's just spoken about. Just spoken about. My biggest beef with the movie, aside from the fact that the battle scenes were too long, the beginning and the end of the movie were the exact, and I mean exact same, as another Tom Hanks vehicle in A League of Their Own. You somberly walking through kind of, you know, I know that the graveyard is not the same as a baseball museum, but through a moment of your past with your family as super sappy music plays and they're taking photos of you is literally how A League of Their Own opens. Did Tom Hanks email Steven Spielberg and say, hey, I really liked how we shot the open in A League of Their Own. Do that, but with war. Because it was the yep. same. It that was, was the a, exact that was a popular same. Movie. That was a popular technique, it seemed like, back in the 90s, for sure. Yeah. I get what you're trying to do there, and it's certainly tied together at the end. But someone, and I mean someone in the Tom Hanks camp, should have said, hey, it's a little too close to home here, okay? We've already done this about three years ago. Maybe we should spice this up just a little bit. Fair, but I'm not gonna, that's not even a real criticism for me. Keep going. Okay. You loved that they found an older guy to look like Matt Damon. My counter to that is if you're spending all of this money on these battle scenes, can't you spend a little bit more on makeup to make it actually Matt Damon as an old man? Oh, no. I, I thought it was amazing that they found a guy that looked like him. I think if they tried to dress up Matt Damon as an old guy, it wouldn't have had the same effect. Okay. Because you'd be like, oh, he looks stupid while it's makeup on. To each their own, to each their own. I have one more negative, just one. Oh, boy. One of my favorite scenes, actually other than the end, might have been my favorite scene, was when Tom Hanks and Matt Damon were sitting there chopping up, and Damon was telling sto- the story about his brothers in the barn, and then Tom Hanks shared mm-hmm. shared what you were going to get out of the captain about his wife. It was the first time you really kind of even saw him let his guard down a little bit. But Matt Damon is this kid from Iowa who's been in battle in France amongst the elements, sleeping on the ground. And as he's telling the story, he's got perfectly straight, blindingly white teeth. And I know you can't really do much about that because that's his face, but I just thought that that looked so out of place for the times. Fair. That's fair. I'm I'm willing to overlook that, but that's fair. But, you know, Tom Hanks had a dirty, gritty look about him. Edward Burns certainly didn't look like, to me, Matt Damon looked like like an actor who was playing a part in a movie. Yeah, he didn't look weathered enough for you. He did not look weathered enough for me. I mean, here's a guy who almost died and has been hiking through the countryside and getting shot at all the time, and he looks like he just left the dentist's office in Hollywood. That's a good point. I assume everyone before, like, 1950 just had terrible teeth. Yeah, same. Totally. But anyway. Not historically accurate enough for Michelle. Okay. It was just a a little slight negative. Now to the positives. We've (laughs) we've got to talk about the cast. I mean, I knew that this was a movie that everybody had talked about, and people had said to me, the cast is stacked. I didn't realize just how stacked the cast was. Uh, We're talking Tom Hanks, Edward Burns, Matt Damon, Vin Diesel, Adam Goldberg, Ted Danson, Paul Giamatti is in this. Brian Cranston is in this. We could continue on. Nathan Fillion. 
Yeah, I'm not going to bore everybody with with all of the names, but it seems like every scene and every new character that developed, you're like, wow, okay, Ted Danson's in the mix. Mm -hmm. All right, like what's going on? So I think that the fact that so many amazing actors were willing to be a part of this because they recognized just how epic it was going to be, even if they played a small role, really says something. And I thought every actor that played their part played it beautifully. I totally agree. Did you know that Matt Damon played Private Ryan before the movie? No, I did not. So that was like a surprise to you? Yes, but I figured when they came across that group and Matt Damon was in it that I jumped to the conclusion that he was, in fact, Private Ryan. It makes me think of a question. What is the greatest random Matt Damon movie cameo of all time? Some of these aren't random. He plays big parts in them. Oh, I can tell you. It's Stacy's mom. What's that one with Stacy's mom? Stacy's mom. Where he's the singer and he sings Stacy's mom. Oh, oh, no, no, no. You, you're getting this entirely wrong. Oh, okay. I'm going to go through the list really quick. Okay. okay. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. In no particular order, I have three movies where it's like, damn, Matt Damon's in this and it's fucking awesome. Okay, go. Saving Private Ryan, okay. obviously. Uh huh. Interstellar. Haven't seen it. Fell asleep on a plane, you know. Which is, what, which is my favorite movie of all time. And Matt Damon, I guess, it doesn't really ruin the movie for you, but he's just like, Oh my God, Matt Damon's just in this movie. That's fucking hilarious. Um, Matt Damon is an interstellar. That's two. And number three, you're thinking of Eurotrip. Yeah. And you're thinking of God, he doesn't know. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Scotty doesn't know. Which, the answer is Eurotrip because Scotty doesn't know is a phenomenal song, one. And it's the most random appearance, I think, of anyone in any movie in the history of movies. It's Matt Damon, who is. This bald rock star guy (laughs) who is the lead singer of this band who's hooking up with this girl who's cheating on her boyfriend in this movie that's actually a hilarious cult classic, but it's not this major motion picture. It is such a great cameo appearance that I would have to say. And and Matt Damon, by the way, you can check it out. He just recently discussed how that actually happened on some podcasts. So go find it because it's incredible. But Matt Damon, those are three unbelievable random cameos, but I still would give the gold medal to Scotty Doesn't Know and Eurotrip. I don't even think it's close. And yes, I got the name of the song wrong. And yes, I got the movie wrong. But I will never forget. I will never forget that this was no disrespect to anybody else. But comparatively to Saving Private Ryan, a cast of nobodies or a cast of unknown actors. And all of a sudden, boom, here's Matt Damon as a not middle aged, but too old to be a gothic singer at this college party. And he's just just with this banger of a song. Yeah, with a banger of a song. But he just pops in. He plays the part amazingly for like two minutes and then he's out. That's all we see of him whereas even though i think it's kind of random that he's private ryan i also don't think it's random that he's private ryan when you look at all the amazing actors that comprise this cast yeah you needed someone with some gravitas to play if private ryan was some random actor it would not have the same impact that it had on you like you needed that to happen in the same way that i remember them people talking about the joker movie and why like robert de niro was in that movie why he was the talk show host Mm -hmm. and they were saying we needed someone who had some pull and who people watching that movie be like, oh my God, that's Robert De Niro, to make sure you understood the magnitude of that character. It's the same way, and I'm not going to spoil it, but in 1917, they used that same tactic, but like on steroids three to four different times for anyone that hasn't seen that. It's a great technique because you know how important this character is, but it's even more important when you realize how great of an actor plays that person. What is Stacy's mom from? <laughs> Stacey's mom is just a song by Fountains of Wayne. <laughs> that's a, I don't think it's in a movie. Shout out to Stacey's mom, though. Good stuff. Um, Wait, shout out to you for knowing Fountains of Wayne. I'm sorry, what? 
oh, come on. Uh, you didn't have that song in your iPod in like 2004, five, three? I don't know, somewhere around it. No, Steve, I did not. I didn't have Fountains of Wayne queued up in the playlist. Oh, wait, first off, Fountains of Wayne, underrated band. Uh, hey, Julie, great song. Song. Scotty Doesn't Know was also on my iPod. So I always wish, and I, because I don't know, I don't have it. <laughs> I wish I can go back and find my LimeWire or Kazaa track list. Oh, I was somehow, I mean, same. it's impossible. But imagine, I would just love to go back and listen, because I'm sure there's so many bangers of songs that I just have totally forgotten about. We've opened this door, and I am going to kick it open. So, um, did you watch the Manny Fresh, Scott Storch okay. Instagram battle? I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to say that I did not, but I read and saw some clips from it. So I watched it, and it was, I mean, Scott Storch, my God, I knew that he was great. I did not understand how many hits he was responsible for. I mean, he was pulling things out of the arsenal that you were like, I'm sorry, you made this? What? But Manny Fresh, I mean, this is a pro Manny Fresh podcast. We live for Manny Fresh, right? Um, uh, yeah. I, If I could pull... My LimeWire, it would be heavy, heavy Manny Fresh. And I was trying to think of this song the other day, the name of it. <laughs> Did you ever listen to B- Manny Fresh is on this, but that BG song, Move Around, where he <laughs> he talks about how he yeah. raised on bread and bologna? That's a classic LimeWire song. I was more of a uh, real big guy when it came to Manny Fresh and the big timers. That song was on repeat for probably a decade straight for me. But very pro Manny Fresh here on this podcast. I did get a DM, by the way, of someone saying, are you guys now a pro infidelity podcast? (laughs) And I was like, you know, I know that we really liked Matt, but no, we are pro Manny Fresh, pro plastic surgery, anti-anti-infidelity. If you're interested in the platforms that we're running on here. Yeah, is anyone pro infidelity? I feel like even people who cheat know that it's wrong. You shouldn't be doing it. Like, it's not, I, I don't know. I can like Matt and still disagree with what he did. You can have it both ways. I think there's many a fuck boy and fuck girl out there that are pro infidelity, Steve. I don't think they're pro. Like, nobody wants to be cheated on, though. Even if you're cheating on someone, if you got cheated on, it still sucks. People don't like it. It's just not universally accepted as something that's okay. That's the reason they do it on the DL is because it's not okay. And if, and if it's okay, then you're basically just a swinger. Right. You also are a cheater if you're okay. Because I can't imagine in any scenario any person that I'm friends with calling me up and saying, hey, my significant other cheated on me and I'm psyched about it. Yeah, best thing that ever happened to me. God, do you, you think that it's ever happened where, but it's probably happened plenty of times where somebody says that they were cheating. Like, hey, I, I don't like you. I was cheating on you. And the other person was like, well, you know what? I was cheating on you too. And then both of them were like, well, shit, here we are. Which is a bigger diss? If you reveal that you've been cheating or the person then throws down the trump card and says, I've also been cheating, bitch. Yeah, because how are you supposed to react there? You both can't be mad. <laughs> you just go like, well, shit, I guess this thing has run its course. But I feel like you. <laughs> I feel like if you're getting cheated on, but then you reveal like if you are the second person in this scenario that says I've also been cheating. I mean, what a shift in power there, because I feel like the person who's cheating, they've kind of taken something from you, if you will. They've embarrassed you in a way. But for you to say, while you thought you were embarrassing me, I was embarrassing you twice as hard. I mean, power shift. If you say, hey, I cheated on you and you're significant other says, well, I cheated on you too. That's such an incredible relief and also bummer at the same time. Yeah. Like, shit, I'm off the hook, but also fuck, she's cheating on me. <laughs> what the <laughs> hell? Like, I don't even, what a range of emotions that would be. I wonder which, which wave comes first. Is it the relief wave or is it the anger bummer wave that comes? I bet it's the anger. I bet it's the anger first.
And then you're like, well, you know what? Then I, I was justified. It didn't matter. But like at first, whenever you hear someone cheat on you, I, I just feel like the first thing would be like, oh, shit, that sucks. But you normally don't hear it straight from the source. Not everyone is mad. No, normally you hear yeah. it from a third party. Yeah. Or I wonder how many people have also heard or found out that they were cheating, being cheated on and then just started cheating on their significant other because of the information that they found out. If I could go back in time, I would have definitely taken that route. No, I wouldn't have. I couldn't have cheated. But is it cheating? I was going to say, whoa. But hold on. If If you find out that someone is cheating on you, is it cheating if you're then cheating on them, if the impetus for you to yeah. start cheating is because they're already cheating and you're trying to prove a point or teach them a lesson no, or get even, is it really cheating. cheating? Yes, because if because in that situation, what you should do is you should say, well, we're done. And then you could just have sex with whoever the hell you want to have sex with. That's how it should work. It doesn't make it right if you then start cheating on them. If you're not vindicated because you know that the other person's cheating on you. That's total bullshit. Yeah. Anyway, we've digressed. We've Let's get back to David Piper Ryan. We gotta yeah. close this thing out. We do. What else do you have? Because I've got a few things. Okay, I thought the editing and the production value of the cinematography off the charts amazing. They did a wonderful, wonderful job. The dialogue in this movie isn't vast. It's not that much. You know, most of it is action. It's certainly an action movie, but they did an incredible job of telling a story. You learned a lot about these people with minimal dialogue. And, you know, with so many characters being cycled in and out, I think that's a difficult thing to do is to get connected to these characters Mm -hmm. if you've only known them for like 20 minutes or you know a half hour or whatever and then they die but for you to know enough about them to feel sad that they have died i think is a very difficult thing to accomplish and they did a really good job with that Um, totally agree totally agree it hit me emotionally in a way that i wasn't expecting and it made me on the way here i called my dad and i told him about it and he was like what how have you not seen that movie i failed you as a parent and i was like that's what my dad said when i told him i didn't see goodfellas so Okay, great, great. We both disappointed our fathers. Amazing. But my dad was like, he started telling me about our family connection to World War II and how his uncle went to war and had never spoken about it until Saving Private Ryan came out and Band of Brothers came out. And my uncle and my my dad, well, that's what my dad said. He was like, get on Band of Brothers. What are you doing? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay, I will. But they started talking and they were like, we should ask Uncle Plin about his role in the war. And he said that he started finally started talking to them about it. But he's like, that was just how that generation was. They went to war. The ones that returned did not speak about it. They didn't brag about it. They didn't want to relive it. It was just something that was buried inside them after it happened. And I just started thinking about our country and the privileges and freedoms that we are afforded. And it's easy for you to say, yes, I live in this country and I'm allowed these freedoms and I'm allowed to live this life because of the sacrifices of others, because it's easier and it's more comfortable and it's kind of a warm and fuzzy notion, right? To say like, yes, this country was built on the sacrifices of others, but To watch that movie or to watch a war documentary and to actually watch the carnage and the massacres and the bravery and the courage on display, you just are so grateful and so appreciative and so in awe of these people and what they did to allow you to live the life that you live. And I thought a lot of it was boring and I thought a lot of it could have been condensed, but I thought in general, the movie in totality, I thought was wonderful. How many cigarettes? How many heaters? We're going to give it 8.5 heaters. 
Okay. I think that's fair. I mean, I would give it a 10, but 8.5 for me from you is very good. I would have probably hoped for an eight. So an eight and a half is any is, is more than I would have even bargained for. You know, heading into the final scene, we were at a six. And those two lines by the grave really it, it kicked it up. Really kicked it up, let me tell you. Speaking of the final scene, which was super powerful, and I mentioned the beginning scene, my favorite scene in the entire movie, I think it's one of the best scenes in movie history. I think it's like a top 15 scene. And it's when, do you remember when they let the guy, they let the, they captured the German guy and they let him go. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge deal, right? Because everyone was kind of conflicted. There were a few guys, um, especially the guy from Brooklyn who didn't want to let him go and thought it was total bullshit. And the other guys were listening to Captain Miller because he's in charge. And that was what the order was. And you follow orders, right? And that scene where they're arguing and they're starting to shove each other and things are starting to hit the wall. And these guys are really falling apart. And it seems like they're going to have to sort of break up and go apart and they're not going to be able to finish out this mission. And Tom Hanks' character basically just like stops them in the middle of this and just asks the question out of nowhere, like, hey, what's the bounty up to on me now? Mm-hmm. And they all kind of stop and like, what, like, what the hell is he talking about? What's he talking about? And he says, I'm a school teacher in Pennsylvania. I teach high school English and I coach the baseball team in the spring. And the perspective of that, mm-hmm. of him, these are just, they're just normal guys from whatever town in the United States, from Pennsylvania, from Connecticut, from California, from Brooklyn, New York. Like they're just guys that were teachers, mechanics, whatever, anything, owning bakeries, anything, anything, whatever job that you want to come from, backgrounds that were thrust into this thing and were asked to be soldiers, but that's not really who they are. And Tom Hanks is sort of having this realization during this whole time, and he talks about, how if this mission, because they're all saying, hey, what this private Ryan, like, who gives a shit about this guy? Like, what about us? Don't we matter? And which is are totally legitimate questions, totally things that I would understand and would be very conflicting from those guys as well as from private Ryan. to be like, oh, my God, these guys are putting their lives on the line for me. Why am I worthy of this? But Tom Hanks says, you know, if this gets me home to my wife, if this mission and we complete this and we find him and it gets me home to my wife quicker, then it'll all be worth it. But he starts wondering whether or not if he's changed so much that his wife will even recognize him when he gets home. All this stuff is hitting him and the realization of how different he is as a human being from an English teacher to this guy that has to decide whether or not this German captured guy gets to live or die. And the final line of the scene where he just says, I just know that every man I kill makes me feel farther away from home. Mm-hmm. To me, it's the best scene in the entire movie. And it's all because Tom Hanks is just an incredible actor. And it, it shows you the magnitude of the situation and the impossible task that these guys were asked to sort of execute, not just them like in their mission, but everyone in this entire war that were just dragged out of whatever their life, you know, whatever their day-to-day life was to put into the situation, fly over to France and fight in a war and shoot guns, things that they've never done in their entire lives. It put all of that into perspective in one four-minute scene. I thought it was the best scene in the entire movie. I feel like I just sat through a history lesson. I feel like you just professored the hell out of me, and I appreciate it. <laughs> I remember this scene because I always liked it. And it was one of the scenes I went back to and watched on YouTube again. And I was just like, it's a perfect scene. And it's such a necessary scene because you mentioned how you were able to care about these characters and get to know them in such limited time. Well, it seems like that that did such a great job of putting into perspective the job that they were asked to do and the situation that they were in. So do we have to do this again for next week? I think so. I have one more thing, um, actually. And it's very small. But was it Private Private Ryben was the guy from Brooklyn? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. During watching that movie, I remember thinking this then and then when I watched some of the clips on YouTube again. Is there any place in the United States where if you're from there, you just have to tell everyone you're from there more than Brooklyn? 
Ooh, like, it's all I'm from Brooklyn. Like, everyone from Brooklyn has to tell everyone else that they're from Brooklyn. Like, dude, we get it. You're from Brooklyn. You're supposed to be tough. The only other one that I could think of was Jersey. But I think Jersey and Brooklyn are one and two. Because we give you shit, Michelle, for always saying, oh, St. Louis and repping St. Louis. You make people from Brooklyn and Jersey look like it's like a walk in the park. As soon as you meet someone from Brooklyn, they tell you that they're from Brooklyn, even whether you asked or not. The only other place I'm going to put in that conversation, because I definitely agree with you, is Texas. Oh, Texas is a good one. Yep. People are very proud to be from Texas. The entire state. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Not even just a city. Yeah, it's not even Dallas. It's not Houston. It is. I am from the great, and and they say the great state of Texas. Yeah, I mean, geez, people like, well, can they want to start their own country and be called New Texas? Wait, for real? Oh, yeah. Just do their own things. Hang out in Texas. Texas is an interesting place. I've never been. What? I'd like to go, but I've never been. Yes, you have. Didn't you go to the Super Bowl with me in Houston? No. Oh, wait. I did go to... That's true. Okay, but... Okay. I lied. I thought I'd been to Texas. Wait, what? I was like, I have been to Texas with you. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, Houston, I'm sorry to anyone that lives in Houston. Not one of my favorite places, to be honest with you. Not a fan. I wouldn't really want to go back. When I think of Texas, I think of Dallas and Austin, though. I don't really think of... I don't know why. I just don't think of Houston. You need to get to Austin. It's amazing. I love, love, love Austin. awesome yeah definitely one of the bucket list places for me yeah it's very much got a sarudi vibe to it i will say this about houston i don't think we got the true essence of h-town i think we were pissed off at houston because of the way the nfl set up all of the media stuff and where we were located so we had to walk through the huge fan fest to get anywhere that we needed to go and we were kind of removed from everything and Houston is a big city, so you're driving a lot of places. And I think when you get up really early and you work in a convention center all day and then it takes you hours to get where you need to go, of course we're not going to have a glowing review of Houston. But from pe- I know peeps that live in Houston, and they love H-Town. They speak very highly of it. So I would be willing to go back to Houston and give it a second chance. Mm. <laughs> That'll be a solo Michelle trip. I'll sit that one out. I'll go, I'll go to Madison. I'll go to Austin instead. Yeah, go to Austin. Get on that. Okay, so... Homework for next week. What should it be? Honestly, these movies, I'm glad we're watching them, but we're also forgetting that we need to talk about The Last Dance, too. It's deviating from our Last Dance conversation. Because I thought the last two episodes were the best episodes of the entire thing. Why don't we just do that instead? We'll take a week off. Yeah, because this will be the culmination of the entire series. It's the final two episodes, so we can break that down. Yeah, so we'll... Exactly. Next week, we'll do more on The Last Dance, because I do have a lot from these past two, and I'm sure we're going to have a bunch from the last two episodes. So, all right, we'll take a week hiatus. Okay, I love it. Also, Michael Jordan laughing about the glove. I had no problem with the glove as he watched the video was one of the funniest things. It was maybe my favorite minute and a half of television that I've watched in 2020. You're right, but I thought the most impactful thing and one of the most impactful things I've seen in a long time was, and I'm not trying to be a downer here, but the... uh, the scene, the, the shot of him after winning the championship in, oh. what was it, 90? The first one after his dad died. Anyway, when uh, the first one after his dad dies, and he just is on the floor sobbing uncontrollably. When you see grown men cry, it just hits you differently. And I'm not even trying to be funny. You know, like when you see your dad cry, like, it's just different. I don't know what to say. And when to see Michael Jordan in that sort of state, that was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, episode seven, six and seven were incredible. And uh, I'm sorry, what was it? Seven and eight were incredible. I'm sure eight and nine will be incredible as well, but I can't get that image out of my mind. It's unbelievable. And I saw a few people like saying, oh, they thought that was a little 
and not inappropriate, but maybe it was a little bit too personal to show him in that moment. Well, here's the thing is that you know, Jordan okayed all of this. Like everything in this document, it's a very pro-Jordan documentary, and it had to be because it wasn't going to get made without it being a pro-Jordan documentary because he wouldn't have done it. But Jordan okayed that, so I'm okay with it as well. I'm glad they showed it because it was an incredible moment. To see a grown man cry is something that you're not used to, but I wouldn't call what Jordan was doing crying. When you see your dad cry, he sheds a tear because he's proud. He sheds a tear because he's sad. Jordan was, it was a visceral, guttural sob. It was an emotion, a, a deep sorrow that overtook him. I don't even know how to describe it any other way other than it felt like we were witnessing the release of his pain. Oh, it was human emotion at its peak because obviously incredible tragedy has to come for you to feel that way. And it's terrible what happened to his father. And mourning is a weird thing. Not everyone is able to do it in a timely fashion or it takes many years or it takes different events in your life to go through that. And, you know, winning his first championship without his dad, I mean, just having that sort of, just that raw emotion and uncontrollable sobbing and just sorrow is, uh, I don't know. It was, it was something like I've never seen because like, you're right. Yeah. Seeing your dad cry. Like I remember at my wedding, I didn't really cry until I saw my dad cry. And then I just never seen my dad cry before. And oh wow. When I saw that, I just sort of lost it in a way. And obviously like my wife was beautiful. The, the scene was beautiful. It was an amazing day, but the thing that got me most was literally seeing my dad cry. It's just, uh, it was just something I've never experienced in my entire life. And it's weird. And that was obviously a very happy moment. Um, You're right. The whole dad crying thing is something that is just a weird thing to see. But the Michael Jordan thing, it was as raw and emotional as anything I I think I've ever seen. No, I'm not even trying to be overly dramatic. It was that powerful of something that I've seen. It stuck with me for the entire few days since then. And I'm sure it'll stick with me for a long time. Yeah. And to your point, it almost felt voyeuristic. It felt like a moment that was so personal and so raw and so private that we shouldn't be privy to it. But I am grateful that we were because I feel like it put such an important punctuation and emphasis on his emotions at that time and what he was feeling in that moment. And I I think you can see the photos, but it doesn't truly tell the story until you watch the video. But we will break down The Last Dance next week. We'll take a movie hiatus. The Last Dance is a docuseries. It's a movie, so we'll give it a cigarette rating as well. It's trending towards 10, but we'll see how the last two shape up. Totally. All right, before we go, Steve, it's time for a review. This one comes from J Mart Jamboree. The title of this, Steve, is Eclectic and Electric. Five stars. Okay, here is the review. It says, listening from Lexington, Kentucky, shamelessly self-appointed co-chairman of the Third Eye Blind is Tremendous Committee alongside Cerruti. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Michelle, you're a Max Contract star. Original listening roots are from SVP Rosillo, but you have both had the non-Balco juice since day one. You all are elite hosts, and you bring out the best in each other because you smoothly balance electric energy, sharp sarcasm, spoonfuls of self-awareness, accurate AF, societal commentary, and legitimate sports expertise. As for the audibles, every time the show goes off the rails, it's hysterical. So taking all that together, the show is like hanging out with friends on a restaurant patio on a summer evening and hilariously debating the most eclectic array of topics and hypotheticals. That's peak of friendship, and Michelle and Saruti seem on their way to the peak of podcasting. This show is stellar, and everybody needs to jump aboard this jovial locomotive. That's the greatest review I've ever heard, and from a Third Eye Blonde fan. It literally does not get any better than that. And the irony here is that Stephen Jenkins, I just got a notification on my phone, who is the lead singer and really like the only main member of Third Eye Blonde, just went live on Instagram. So uh, on that note, I'm going to have to go check that out.
Well, thank you to Jamar Jamboree for the great review. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you for Anthony for putting this together. Thank you, Steve. Another fun conversation. We're going to be back in action soon, hopefully, fingers crossed, with an interview with a verified Instagram model. So be on the lookout for that. But until then, stay at home, stay safe, and please wash your hands. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.